The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Welcome to Across the Airways, your favorite TV, your favorite podcast dedicated for weekly reviews of your favorite TV shows, your favorite news section with News with Nico, and much, much more. Today, we're doing a special episode, uh, me, Anna, and one of ATS' beloved favorite host, Michael J. Petty. Hey, Andy, how you doing today? I'm doing fine, Michael. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. A little pumped for this discussion, so and the DC Nation live yeah. show, so. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, the time we're recording it's uh, Friday, the uh, fifteenth, uh, which is just one day from the the live show. So make sure to enjoy that when you listen to it, guys. Um, me and Michael, like all the other guys on ATA, we love comic books. We love comic book movies. We love comic books. Comic books. Um, so, as you probably noticed throughout many episodes, we easily get into, we get off topic and go into, like, comic, comic discussions or whatever. Um, I'm sure, it, especially on, like, um, on all the podcasts, basically. So, we felt like, while well, some of the shows that we're watching are hiatus, and um, we, we will do an episode dedicated about comic books and comic movie discussions, and also an opportunity because it's not often you get to hear Michael J. Petty and Andrew Buck in the same podcast. Yes, every once in a while on Longbow Hunters, and then obviously every once in a while on ATA, so this is a big event. Yes, it is. So, first, a quick disclaimer to, disclaimer for everyone. The thoughts and the opinions of us two are not necessarily the opinions of the whole Across the Airways Network, so we're going to only represent our fault because we, you know, we don't want to say something, we don't want to talk for other people because maybe then that would be like, Anna, you're fine, you said something that I'm not totally agreeing with and something like that. And um, we're going to talk, we're going to um, discuss, uh, we're going to discuss and like um, analyze certain things about certain offers work, but that doesn't mean, necessarily mean we are bashing them or like uh, bashing the companies or any news outlets and so on. So be aware that we are not, this is like an opinion, not like bashing or like criticizing you, saying, you know, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is right, this is right, something like that. So be aware. And also be aware that spoilers of certain issues of certain series will be discussed. Yes, the first there, will discu- be a lot discussion. Of, there will be a lot of spoilers. A lot of spoilers. So spoiler alert. Okay. First comic book discussion. What is going on with our favorite neighborhood web crawler, Spider-Man? Uh, as some of you probably know, Peter Parker is... Kind of dead, but really not dead. In after what happened in the Amazing Spider-Man, the, last, the 700th and last issue of it, before they went into the Superior Spider-Man. Whoa! Uh, so more like the Inferior oh, Spider-Man. <laughs> um, so, Michael, what did you? How do you feel about after what happened with the 700th issue? Because I know you read um, you read the first issue, didn't you? I did read the first issue, of Superior. I okay. Here's the thing. I read 700. I really enjoyed the issue. I even enjoyed the end. My main problem with it is it takes place in normal, regular continuity. If it took place in somewhere like the Ultimate Universe or just like some sort of alternate Marvel Universe, 
I think I would have felt a lot better about the story. But because it didn't, and it took place basically in the regular timeline, and Peter Parker was in fact dead in Dr. Octopus's body, I did not like it. And when I went into reading Superior Spider-Man, because I did go read Superior Spider-Man, because I wanted to make sure I was a little educated on the subject, it just didn't work for me. I don't know. That may just be me. Well, well I, I have been terrified of reading Superior Spider-Man because the last page of The Amazing Spider-Man was so cheesy. When he was like, I'm not, gonna, I'm not just going to be a good, better Spider-Man, I'm going to be a superior Spider-Man, and like... Yeah, that's product placement right there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, this. here's the thing. Spider-Man is, you know, we love Spider-Man for, because he is the guy, the everyday guy, with just, with just spider abilities. You know, he is the, you know, he's not a billionaire, he's not an alien from another planet, and so he's like... You know, he has to suck you go through all the, the everyday problems that we have to go through, like being able to, you know, have an income, you know, have a place to stay, live at, you know, keeping up with studies and, you know, girlfriends and friends and, you know, family. And, you know, I can, I will never be able to pick up a comic book now and feel like I'm going to be able to read about my favorite relatable character that I love so much. And he's like he's my favorite Marvel character, and it's I don't understand how like what the reason was for that. Like it's um I have that's the thing. I that's why I haven't read Spirit Spider because I'm just terrified it's gonna get worse or it's gonna be taking a long time before it you know gets restored or whatever because these things could you know it's you know sometimes change. But I don't. What do you do? You think this was a good thing by Marvel? To be honest, I really don't. I really do not think this was a good move on Marvel for a few reasons. One, they've killed off Peter Parker in every single continuity right now. There is no Peter Parker in any Spider-Man comic currently. And if he is in Superior Spider-Man, it's only his spirit. He's not even Spider-Man. So, first of all, there is that. And that, I believe, in and of itself is wrong. Secondly... With the whole Marvel Now phase and the renumbering of all the books after um, Avengers vs. X-Men, I really feel that that should have been the jumping point for new fans to jump into Spider-Man. And if someone just walked into a comic store, loved the Amazing Spider-Man movie, and went to pick up Superior Spider-Man 1, they would be more than, more than a lot confused for two reasons. One, because Peter Parker is not Spider-Man. And two, because they wouldn't know who Dr. Octopus is right off the bat. And to see him as Spider-Man taking over Peter's life and Peter acting really creepy and you don't really know what's going on until, like, the last few pages, it's it just was not a smart move on Marvel's part, I don't think. I agree with that. It's because, um, because um, I, I read a little bit of Ultimate Spider-Man and Miles Morales, who's the current Spider-Man. He's actually really good. But the thing is, why the, the reason why I accept that, you know, that there's a different Spider-Man is because, okay, as long as we have a Peter Parker in any universe that is not, you know, mainstream or popular kind of news and so on. Because all, right now, we only have Peter Parker, right, the real Peter Parker, in two things. One, in Mark Webb's Amazing Spider-Man Spider, Spider franchise, where Andrew Garfield, who's the, his, who, who is like the most iconic Spider-Man ever, uh, who plays them. And we also have this next day's Ultimate Spider-Man TV show, which, yeah. you know, can be discussed whether or not how 
whether or not if it's good. But uh, but like that's all we have. There's no sp- Peter, real Peter Parker now in the comic books, and that's a uh, that's something I never thought I would get to say as a comic book fan or Spider Man fan. Like there's not a Peter Parker in the comic books. Well, and the thing is too, even when Peter was replaced by Ben Riley in the '90s after the Clone Saga. Ben Riley is still technically a clone of Peter Parker. And while Doc Ock is in Peter Parker's body, it's it's not the same brain pattern. It's not the same thought process. It's not the same character, as in personality-wise. It's a different guy in this guy's body. It's a shapeshifter, basically, is what it is, except he's trapped in the one form. And it just doesn't work. It's weird. And he's been kind of... He was kind of violent with MJ in uh, the, yeah, some that, of the, the last page of Seven Seven Hundred. I was like, that was disturbing. I was co- not comfortable. That, that was the only time in my life I was like, it gets worse get- than Superior. Oh my! Oh my! Okay. Yeah, um, it gets a little worse. Than- well, the thing is too is Amazing Spider-Man because I have not liked a lot of Marvel's recent stuff. Amazing Spider-Man is the or was I guess the only comic I was reading on a more consistent basis from Marvel. And after 700, I'm like, you know, until Peter comes back, until I get, you know, good Marvel comics again, I'm out. Yeah. And I hate to say that because I love a lot of the a lot of Marvel's characters. I love the Hulk. He was my first comic book. I love Iron Man. He was the movie that really, besides The Dark Knight, really got me into comic book movies. I mean, the, the, Spider-Man, obviously, because I grew up with the Raimi films and now Amazing Spider-Man. But, you know... I can't get into Marvel's comics. They're just not what they used to be. The 90s after that, and then... I don't know what happened. Civil War happened, really. That's what happened. But, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's sad. Well, as long as... Yeah. It's, it's very sad. We have... And still, as long as we have the amazing Andrew Garfield, I, you know, we will always have somewhere to go for Peter Parker. So, um, bless yeah. him. Uh, let's move on to the second comment discussion, which is going to be a bit of a review, with, um, and so on by Michael because um, I have I haven't been following Grant Morrison's Batman Corporate. I know what it's about briefly, but we, there's, we're going to discuss like the recent event, which was issue eight, if, uh, if I'm right. And um, so, Michael, what happened in Bat Inc., Batman Inc. issue eight? Yes. Well, I, as people know, as people know. Dan and I, those of you who listen to the Destination podcast, are not big fans of Grant Morrison. We really enjoy All-Star Superman, which he wrote, and his 90s Justice League of America run, JLA, in the 90s. We really liked those stories. However, with X-Men, uh, Action Comics, and Batman, he's kind of really gone down downhill. But I will say, I really enjoyed issue 8 of Batman Incorporated. Basically, what happens in the issue is Batman has been trapped by Talia al Ghul, who has basically taken over Wayne headquarters. And Damien, to his fa- against his father's wishes, flies in and breaks into the headquarters, sa- helping to save Red Robin, Tim Drake, and Nightwing, Dick Grayson, from Talia's henchmen. And basically how Damien dies is Damien and Dick go up against this... I guess it's an aged clone of Damien. So basically it's a clone of Damien that's aged to like Bruce's age. So he's tall, he's muscular, he's everything Damien's not, 
except he is like a clone. So it's it's really confusing. But basically what happens is this clone takes out Dick. He throws him into a wall and basically leaves him there. And Damien goes up against this guy alone. And Damien starts getting shot with flaming arrows. He gets stabbed. Just like Bane, or Bane did to Batman, uh, his clone breaks Damien's back. And then he stabs Damien right through the heart. And unfortunately, like in every good death story in the Batman universe, Batman arrives too late and holds a dead Robin in his arms, much like he did with Jason Todd in Death in the Family back in the 80s. So it, it, was, a very, it was a very sad issue. It really had a lot of repercussions around the entire DC universe. And the thing is, not everyone thought that it was real for a long time because for months and months, Grant Morrison has been saying that Batman Incorporated does not take place within the New 52 universe. But apparently they've retconned that and now it does. So Damien is now dead. Peter J. Tomasi's Batman and Robin book is now going to be retitled to Batman and where Batman will be teaming up with people like Red Hood, Red Robin, Batgirl, and Nightwing. And yeah, Damien's gone. Robin Rip. And uh, that's, I, but there was a situation with this, um, this event because I, there's been so many comics book stories being leaked the past couple of months, but like this was what something that leaked, didn't it? The... This was huge. This was very huge on the internet. People at my own comic book store, my local comic store that I go to every week, I'm a big supporter of them, Graham Cracker, Graham Cracker Comics in St. Charles, Illinois, right outside of Chicago. People went to almost every comic book store and bought this issue just based, of all the, based off of all the press it was getting. People who don't ever pick up a comic book in their life bought it because they think they can make money on it. And to me, that's just wrong because by the time I got to the comic store, they were out. But luckily, my comic, my comic book store guys love me, Dan and Kurt. They love me, so they got me a first, uh, first print copy that they somehow got from one of their chain stores. But I mean, otherwise, I, w I wouldn't have got it. And that's just based off how much press they've been getting because of this event. It's it really became a huge thing. So now, even in the comics, they're doing this little mini series called Requiem. Which is every um, Batman family title from after Batman Inc. until their next issue is a Requiem title. Which basically deals with the loss of Damien. And Batman 18, I know you haven't read it yet, um, Andy. It's very sad. And what's even sadder is Batman and Robin 18, which is completely heartbreaking. That is just pictures. There is, there is no dialogue in that comic at all. It is just Bruce's reactions. And it is really heartbreaking. Uh, yeah, it's um the thing is like, I you know I I've been a bit familiar with Damien White for the past few years and I I know you know the thing is that that fascinates me is that Batman has a son and like it feels so weird to hear that he's dead now and I'm like you know because he's lost well, you know he lost Jake you know all the other Robins has been like sons and like surrogate sons but like this was his like flesh and blood from my from what I understand and it's like. This is weird. He lost another family member, like that was blood tied to him. It's uh, yeah. And I, and I and I guess because you told me that you know you just told me that you know this is going to be part of the new future continuity. Uh, I guess it, it pretty much answers the question. You know what will happen with 
bat, the Batman story in general in the New Fifty Two, but it's um, it's um, that's the sad part about comic book worlds. You know, the comic book in, in general is that people have to die, and but uh, but he'll be you know, he'll be knows, back. Could he come back? <laughs> he'll be back. Everyone comes back. Jason Todd came back after twenty years. I, Damien, in the next twenty years, I guarantee you, you'll see him again. But, right. but for yeah, now, for, for at least the next five, ten years, I'm assuming they will try and keep him dead. So you heard people remember, remember people on March 15, uh, 2013, Michael said this. So in 20 years, let's see if he was right. <laughs> uh, if you're about... listening to this in 20 years, I don't know what you're doing with your life, but, you know, go ahead. <laughs> Oh, I have plans for this podcast. No, but let's talk about an ex- you know, uh, some a little bit more cheerful uh, comic discussion now, which is um, Jeff Lemire's Green Arrow series, which has been. I don't know if that's cheerful, but. <laughs> it's well, it's, it's it's, nobody it's that no, it's not you know Arrow's not dead there, so you know no main character has died there so far. So like, let's talk that's... about the Lemire's successful two issues so far on the Green Arrow series and the artwork that is done by Andrea. Sarantino, sir, if you listen to this, I'm sorry if I pronounce your name wrong. I need to say for like this, you know, I bought the two first issue of Green Arrow, the New Two when it came out because first, first of all, the first cover, you know, it looked like Oliver from Smallville. The yeah, it looked Oliver. a lot like Justin Hartley, and I liked it. Yeah, but and I but the first two issues was kind of weak to me, and I was like, the first I don't want to. Seventeen continue. issues of the series was weak. Yeah, and I, you know, when, when I heard about Jeff Lamar coming in, I, I heard good things about him, him and his writing. And, and uh, because you, Michael, you were kind of excited for him coming in for Green Arrow. And I was like, maybe I should shake in this. And then I saw the art. I'm like, oh, my Lord, I have to get this. Yeah. And um, would you, do you want to start? How do you feel about it? Uh, Sure. I mean, I got issue 17. I, I really enjoyed it. Like, I... The last Green Arrow issue I had picked up was Green Arrow 5 of the New 52, and after that I was done. However, my, my copy, the only reason I picked it up is because it was signed by Dan Jurgen, so I was a little excited about that, and I was like, oh, he did the artwork for the series, and the artwork's good. I'll get it. But the series itself wasn't very good, and so after issue 5, I kind of stopped. I had no real interest. I understood what they were trying to do. They were trying to make him more like Smallville Oliver. But that's the thing, and that's that's what people don't always understand, and I'm sorry to go off on this tangent, but Smallville's Oliver Queen is only half of comic book Green Arrow. The other half of comic book Green Arrow belongs to Stephen Amell's Oliver Queen. And if you put those two together, that's when you get the equivalent of comic book Green Arrow. And like Either of them by themselves are not fully who Green Arrow is, but when you put them together, I believe they are. So that's something I felt really interested with or about with Jeff Lemire coming on because from all the interviews he talked about, he was going to make Green Arrow darker again, like Mike Grell's uh, Longbow, The Longbow Hunters run along with his uh, actual Green Arrow run. And he was going to make it very um, very much like The Arrow Show, which obviously Wu and I cover. And he's been on that show. Dan's been on that show. Nico, uh, Elisa Lee, she'll probably be back next week. But the I mean... It's I was show. on the show as well, Michael. You didn't say Andy was on the show. I said I said you first, Andy. Oh, I didn't hear you. Oh, yeah, I did though. Okay, <laughs> it's okay. Continue, sir. Continue. <laughs> but um, but yeah, and obviously Arrow's been doing so successful. It's been doing very well, 
And because of Oliver's past in the New 52 as being a more funny superhero, I thought mixing that with the Dark would bring back classic Green Arrow from before the New 52. So, And so far, I've seen that. So far, I've really enjoyed this arc. It's gone back to the island. It's bringing in new characters, new villains, new supporting cast. And that's very fun. I love bringing in new characters like that because, you know, who knows? Maybe one day we'll see them on Arrow themselves. Who knows? I was going to ask you about it. Um, I, I was going to ask you that at some point, but I, um, that new archer, what, I forgot his name, um, that he's facing right now in the comics. Kimono? Kimono. I, I think he could, he could be interesting as, like, a later on villain for Oliver on the show. Like, that's what you're going to go into the show, but, like, if, because... Well, it'd be he, interesting I, if uh, he was on the island. Yeah, and that's the thing. We need to talk about the island for a little bit. Like, it's, you know, Andy Diggle's Green Arrow Year One is, like, one of the best books I've ever read, and, you know, it's that, that's what Arrow is based on, the show, and Longbow Hunters, uh, two, two great not books. If you haven't picked them up, get out now and pick them up, and then listen to our podcast. But it's, like, now they're going back to the island, and it's so amazing. Like, you know, like, so many years afterwards, they're touching on that story, and that's so amazing. And, like, like, okay, before I fanboy, I, like, you know, be, be, be the, the, the adult one here, Michael, and say what's good with it. <laughs> well, the air, well, what, no, and that's no problem either, Andy. I mean, you can fanboy all you want, but ultimately the, the island is what defines Oliver. His experiences, his trials, his training... On the island, that is that is how Green Arrow is born. That is Oliver's defining moment in his life to to forge his own destiny. And I mean, it was like that on Smallville. It was different on Smallville, but it was like that on Smallville. It's definitely like that on Arrow, and they're bringing that back in the comics. And I think the thing is, when Oliver was on the island in the New Fifty Two, and this is just me thinking, I don't really know. I I have to think that. He trained to be Green Arrow, and then when he came back, he became Green Arrow, and he had good intentions, but he lost sight of those intentions. And now that the island is coming back to him and coming back to haunt him, I think those intentions will come back. Yeah, exactly. And uh, because I haven't been, I don't know what happened between after issue two and forward. I, I haven't heard, I, I'm not familiar with it so far, but I, what, have you, what you're telling me, it's so exciting. Like, you know, it's, uh, I'm... Can you like just a question like maybe maybe because maybe some people are wondering like um, because Merlin has been out featured so much on Arrow how do you, has Merlin been featured anything on in the comics right now because I know they have named Tommy Merlin uh, in issue zero I think yes Tommy Tommy Merlin's in issue zero at the end of issue zero his burned body is getting fixed I have to think that he's going to come back to haunt Oliver for leaving him when the thing happened with the shipwreck. And then we'll see Merlin. Uh, you know, that I didn't know his body got burned. Oh my god, that's gonna be so. That's all. That's what like happened to him in episode sixteen, like two weeks ago. He got burned by Oliver. Like, yeah, I was never gonna tell you. So poor Tommy. Yeah, I know he kind of gets shafted no matter what universe he's in. But really, the thing is, is Merlin in the comics very different than the Merlin you get on Arrow. Merlin in the comics was part of the League of Assassins, the League of Shadows, whatever you want to call it. It's all the same thing. And he was he was the definitive Dark Archer. He really had no history with Oliver Queen in the comics. He was just an assassin. His name was Arthur King. And he was a different character. But now they've revamped him 
on Arrow into two different characters that essentially I think are going to have the same destiny, but they're bringing the new, with the new 52, they're ushering in a new version of Merlin. And I believe that is through Tommy Merlin. I mean, it can't be a coincidence that they're doing that on Arrow and in the new 52. It just can't. I think they wanted to revamp the character to have a more personable meaning to Oliver. Because the thing is, Green Arrow in the comics, he's had some pretty decent villains. A pretty, but he has a pretty small rogues gallery overall. And I think they're really trying to expand that with Jeff Lemire's Green Arrow run. And obviously on Arrow, they want to bring in more villains like China White. She was only a one-time thing in Green Arrow year one. She's a recurring villain now on Arrow. And that's very exciting. That's something I've loved about the show since the second episode. And I hope that they continue to do because really, he needs a bigger rogues gallery. And I think that's what they're going to give him in both mediums, comics, and television. I agree. Um... I agree. It's, so just Jeff Lemire is the yeah Jeff and uh, uh, Andrea uh, who are doing the art and he's and Andrea's Jeff is doing the writing. Art is fantastic. Uh, it's it's it. like some of the darkest things I ever seen. It, like it fits I, David Finch is a dark so well. artist, but it fits it fits Green Arrow so well. It does. So just like uh, uh, Greg Capullo's art does for Batman, Andrea Sorrento Sarantino's does for Green Arrow. It's really that good. Second that, uh, let's, let's just give us a short uh, review and analysis of the, the digital comedy is based on the CW's hit show Arrow and discuss how how well is it doing with tying with the show so far because there's been a few mo- times when it's been like, like, like when I was on for the Dodger episode, which you can find on across the Arrow slash Arrow podcast, and when I was like, the com- they should have done something with Roy for that co- that um, digital comic because he was being featured on the show because that chapter was not, didn't have much to do with the episode in general. So it's been a few times like that, but I ha- otherwise, in general, how has it been tied with the show? Because that is the, the, the main purpose of the comic. Yes, you are correct there. It's to expand the universe and tie on with the show. The thing is, for the most part, the comics tie into the show pretty well. The issue is sometimes the digital chapters are two to three weeks off, and that's mainly because uh, by the time they're written by the writers on the show, the comics I mean, um, either the show is on hiatus, so they miss it by a few weeks because it's released during that hiatus and not when the actual episode airs, or because they wrote the comics at a later time that they wrote the episode. So there are a few weeks where it's off, but overall, um, I think it ties in pretty well. I think it really expands the universe, and it really does help Oliver narrow down people on the list. Because if that whole book is filled with people on the list, he's going to need all the time he can get to take them down. So I think the comics a good yeah. way to do that. And you know, they've done um, they've done a story for Hunters, you know, Hunters Year One, which I love. Yeah. You know, so like they can do more like that. But like the thing and is, that they, was just sometimes released, they, that was they just released. They forget to acknowledge things on the show, like. There was a chapter about Moira, and that was so imperative to her character, and it was not mentioned that much in the, on the episodes after that. And I was like, that's things they need to talk about, because, like, I have people I know that just watch the show. I'm like, you know, you, just, you should read a comment. It's like, you know, like a dollar or something. Like, it's worth it. It's a good comment. And they're like, no, I just want to watch the show. I shouldn't have to read a comic just because it's tied with the show. Like, And that's the thing. Like, they're, they need to kind of, you know, more I could mention something like that she did that we saw in the cop that the chapter or something like that. Um, yeah, I agree. But with I don't you know, there. Like, it's I agree with you there. I, I don't think you're wrong. 
thing is, it's only 52 bucks a year for if you're going to buy every digital comic. It's really not that much in the grand scheme of things. And it's the same, obviously, with Smallville Season 11, which we'll talk about a little later. But it's it, you're paying only 52 bucks for entertainment that enhances your viewing experience. Why wouldn't you do that? Exactly. You know, there you have it, people. You know, he just so he just pitched it to you why you should get the digital comic. You well, know, because if, it is good. And, and if you cheap. don't want to read the digital comic, listen to um, the section on Longbow Hunters, the show that I host with Wu. Listen to the digital comic section because even if you don't read the comic, you can still listen to what we're talking about because a lot of our best theories sometimes do come out of the comic section and are enhanced based off the show and the comic, which is why we cover the comic after the show because yeah, really it's like it does enhance. Minutes, it. So you know, like if you don't, like, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a short review. So you know, it, they, they do it so well and so in a good in a, such a good time. So you know, it's worth it. You know, like it's you know, it's not like they're talking about a comic like for fifty minutes. And they're like it's like 10, 15 minutes, and it's so good. And you should, you know, so I advise you, you should listen to their section. I love their that section um, on the show. I love the whole show. <laughs> I know you do. Thank you, man. Yes. So let's talk about. Another digital comedy we love by the great Brian Q. Miller, a good friend of the podcast, uh, who I have not had the privilege to talk to yet. Talk to yet, but anyway, like who's doing the amazing small season eleven comic? Uh, today was actually the release of uh, the the current chapter of Haunted. And uh, Michael, have you had time to read it yet? Yes, I read it um, this morning. Good. What did you think about it? And what have you thought about? Uh, let's just talk about Haunted briefly because we will. This is a comedy topic that he and Dan cover on uh, the DC Nation podcast. So we'll just talk about it briefly, like how this chapter has been so far, and the reason conclusion to Effigy. So Haunted, go. Uh, Haunted, I, I really liked it. I do think, uh, I am a big fan of the Superman Blue, that's what I'm going to call it for nostalgia factor, uh, Clark's Superman Blue uniform. I think it works really well. I like that his hair is staticky because of running and because of the electricity. That's a good effect. Um, I liked Bart in this issue a lot because it really shows how far he's gone from the beginning of his, uh, the beginning of Smallville back in season four's run where he first appeared to now, because if this episode had happened, or yeah, I guess if this episode had happened in place of run, I don't think Bart would have done this to save Clark. And, and vice versa. I, well, actually, wrong. I think Clark would have done it to save Bart, but I don't think Clark would have called Bart family. And so you really get to see how much their characters had developed together as friends and, you know, as family in a sense. And I really like that they would do just about anything for each other. And, I mean, obviously any Justice Leaguer, Justice Leaguer would, but it's, it's different between them because Bart is the first character, the first um, person that Clark ever met who had powers that wasn't meteor infected. And, you know, you can say Ryan back from seasons one and two was the same because they never tell you if his powers were meteor infected or not. But this was the first superhero he met. So I like that. I liked the stuff on earth too. The, uh, how Oliver dies. We never really figured out how Oliver dies, but they mention it in Kent. I, I liked how it turned out. I mean, it was very violent on Clark it Luther's was, part. It was brutal. It was, was brutal. But it, I, it worked for that universe and how dark that universe is. Um, and final thing, when Bart is running 
and you see the Speed Force outlines of people, my guess, he's hearing Wally West, Jesse Quick, and Max Mercury. Yeah, I only have I only know who Wally was. If you just drop two names, I have no idea. On, and uh, so yeah, good. good no, I'm okay. I'm, yeah, I haven't heard about these names, those names before. But uh, yeah, I will um, love to see Wally uh, on Smallville. And we're not gonna get to into this discussion because this has been a like controversial thing since Bart show, like whether or not Bart is actually Barry. But I think it's safe. To, it's he's Bart, whatever. So I would love to see Barry Allen as well. Yeah, uh, I and I think it real it, it really helps my side of, my point of view of him being Barry, just because they changed him so drastically in terms of appearance since Smallville, where he had you know the big messy hair like Bart Allen did in the comics, and now they've given him short buzzed blonde hair like Barry Allen, and obviously that's a big change, and that's something not in line with the show, so the fact that they went that out of their way to give him that change makes me think he's Barry Allen. Well, Brian Q. Miller, if you listen to this, you, you need to answer this, because... Yeah, you, do, are... you really need to answer this, Brian. <laughs> yeah, but I love Hunter so far. I love the whole small comment so far, and Hunter has been really cool. I love... The blue super, Superman blue suit, you know. I, I never read Superman blue or Superman red, but it's it's a it's a cool it's an awesome suit. And uh, yes. just briefly about effigy, it's this makes me miss more, even miss Phil Morris even more uh, during season ten. Yeah, I agree. I agree with um, you there. And um, but we should we should we should move on to. Um, Let's talk now. It's and to Superman talk, which is both reviewing and analyzing Scott Liddell's current run on the Superman series, as well as discussing the soon-to-be-leaving Grant Morrison's run on Action Comic, which Grant Green Arrow Year One writer Anna Diggle will take over after issue eighteen. Eighteen. Thank you. So nineteen um, will be Diggle's first issue. Yes. Um, and first of all, I, I Superman is my favorite DC character, and it's um, the beginning of. The Superman series when Initiative Two was launched, I I liked it, I liked it at first, but then it started going so many different routes, and then you know Ryan started you know George Perez dro- dropped, and then then Jurgens Jer- came and get Keith Keith, uh, Keith Kiffen, and you know it's it was such a bit you of know, a chaos, and then when Scott Liddell finally arrived, you know he he fixed things, and like you now it's on a stable storyline, you know they just fit um. They've just finished. Um, hell on earth. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can, I'm, I'm always, I'm always thinking. I will say hell instead of you know, hell, you know, it's a weird name, whatever. Uh, the hell on, or on earth storyline, and you know, it's been amazing and interesting storyline. It's uh, so and Scarlet is such a great job because there was so much, there was so many weird storylines in the beginning of the the comic, and I was like. Yeah. Nah, not buying it and not feeling it, and um, but now I'm really liking the book. And uh, um, what do you think about uh, his Superman run so far? Um, well, but I, I real quick, I'll, I'll go back to the beginning of the run because I, you know, Dan and I did a DC Nation episode on the New Fifty Two Superman, and we talked about comparing it to Brian Q. Miller's Superman, Grant Morrison's, and uh, George Perez and Dan Jurgens. And I, I think I was a little too harsh on it, 
Because I went back recently and reread everything in the Superman book before issue 13 because I just wanted to get a feel on Superman before uh, Scott Lobdell. And quite honestly, you know, I enjoyed the arcs. I enjoyed Hell's Point. I think it could have been concluded a little differently. Mm-hmm. But, but um, overall, I mean, I they are solid books. So I, I'm not completely understanding why people didn't like it. I, I think at first it was just different and we didn't want to accept that Superman now, you know, had armor. He was different. They tore down the Daily Planet. People just didn't want the change. And I think ultimately that is why people didn't like it so much. So they stopped reading it because they didn't like change. And when I went back and reread it, I realized I'm like, well, that's what I did. And that was kind of a mistake because this book wasn't half bad. And it was actually pretty decent and pretty good Superman story um, in the grand scheme of things. And then when Scott Lobdell took over, I mean, I really I really enjoy Scott Lobdell's writing uh, for Superman. Uh, his Teen Titans and Superboy runs, not so much. Uh, I do like Red Hood and the Outlaws, however. And obviously I do like Superman. So he, re- he really is a hit or miss writer. But I, I've been liking Hell on Earth a lot. And I think it's doing a lot of setup for Andy Diggle's action comics because, as we saw in Superman issue zero, we see Superman on Krypton watching his parents. So obviously he time traveled to the past, and he's wearing a black suit. Now we've also seen promo art from Action Comics of Superman wearing that black suit. So I am assuming that Hell on Earth and Superman Zero have been set up for Andy Diggle's um, run. If not, I look forward to seeing it in Superman as well. Either book really doesn't matter, but I am looking forward to this um, upcoming arc where it looks like Superman will be returning to Krypton. Yeah, that's a, that was a good. Um, it was a, it, it's been a while since I read Zero, so but I remember, I remember exactly what, you, what you're talking about because I was like, black suit Superman. Wait, he's on Krypt. Wait, what? And what did I miss? And it looked less like armor, don't you think? the black suit it looked it looked less like the blue armor that he wears now and more like um classic suit with a little modern twist yeah it, it wasn't exactly like spandex but it did look incredibly differently from the suit that we we're seeing right now and you know I, i'm 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 looking forward to see what Andy Diggle would do with it because you know he's an amazing writer we, you know he's uh he, he, you know he you know once again if you haven't read green area in one Go pick it up now, or I'll, I'll put you on his list. And uh, no, no, I'm kidding. But it's <laughs> it's gonna be amazing how, what he's gonna do with it. And you know, it's uh, because I think we have different. Uh, you know, it's uh, we have similar opinions, yes. And like because uh, I was, they weren't that bad the, the first issue of Superman, but Lobdell he really he really convinced me better than uh, the first writers did. So I think he made Superman more relatable to the average person in a Peter Parker sense that people really haven't seen before because he's Superman, which I do like because that's kind of how I was introduced to Superman on Smallville. But at the same time, I really liked the first few arcs in Superman because it's regardless of the changes made to his mythos, it still had Superman being larger than life. And with Lobdell's, and I think this will change at some point, with Lobdell's, I just don't feel that he has as much importance or value in the DC Universe um, anymore than when he did before the New 52. And I don't, I don't know why that is, but he just doesn't seem as powerful or as prominent a figurehead as he did before. 
And I don't know if you feel that way. That may just be how I feel, but I don't know. You're, you're familiar with what he's done before. I, I read Teen Titans, and I liked it. I, you know, I read the first eight issues, and I loved it. Uh, but you know, uh, it's I haven't been familiar with his previous work, so maybe that's why you have you you have, you know more of his writing style than I do. So if I would pick up something from the pre fifty two that he that did, maybe I could you know I would get more what you what you're saying. But uh, but uh, yeah, I, I can I see what, what you where you're going with, and uh, it's uh, you know it, you know I can I, I understand that. So uh, but otherwise you know it's it's a solid book right now. Uh, that's something we can agree with, but you know, small, small Superman is, of course, the one that we are deeply in love with. Yes. Yeah. Briefly about Action Comics, uh, I know, I know how you feel about Grant Morrison. Um, I think Action Comic has been, it's actually been a bit stronger than the Superman books before Love Dale took over, and so uh, I think it was because something that people should know about me is that I didn't read comic books that much before New 52. New 52 is actually the first comic book uh, stream that I'm following right now. You know, I read some of the books, you know, the bigger books, like, you know, Night, Batman Nightfall, Superman Secret Origins, and something like that, but I never, like, picked up, like, you know, separate issues of, of some, a certain book. So, Action Comics was, like, one of the first books I picked up in the 52, and I, and I've loved it so far. Like, I love how he went from the, the farm boy suit in the first issue to, like, the suit that he... The suit has been intriguing a lot, how it's been working throughout this universe, because it's a bio-suit, and it's, like... It's, it's been different, so that's what I've been liking about it. But, you know, it's... um, But the, the, the latest, latest issue of Action Comics has been different as well. But the first issue of Action Comics was really good. I really liked it, and... Um, but, like, um, how did you feel about it so far? Um, I, you know, and I reread the first issue of that as well, and I believe I was a little too hard on that first issue because it was so different. Um, I understand the feel they were going for. I understand they wanted him to be more like the Golden Age version of Superman. But, quite frankly, I think that version of Superman is outdated. So, I don't, I think that's why people were very mixed on their reviews with Action Comics, because partially because of that, and partially because every issue, you weren't sure what time period you were in, or even if you were in the right universe, because Grant Morrison kept flopping around from the past to the present to an alternate universe where there's a president, Superman, to another universe where, you know, you're in the fifth dimension, and now he's finally on his last arc, but every issue of that last arc has been bouncing to the past, the present, the future, and alternate dimensions, all in the same issue. So, to me at least, Grant Morrison is a very convoluted writer, which ultimately, if your audience can't understand what you're writing about, I don't think that's very good. However, like like I said, All-Star Superman, JLA, great books by Grant Morrison. If I were to recommend any books by Grant Morrison, those would be it, because they are fantastic. They're some of the best comic books out there. But at the same time, you know, and more current stuff, is, and it's just the same that he did with Batman. It's just very convoluted overall. I mean, and there's some gems. Like, I loved the Crypto thing in issue 13. Crypto, that was just awesome with the Phantom Zone and all that. Um, I liked when Clark became a firefighter for a little bit. That was kind of cool. And obviously, if you're reading the Superman Beyond book, uh, Clark Kent is now a firefighter again under a new name, Cal Kent. 
because Clark Kent is supposed to be dead because he's so old. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are some gems in his arc, but overall, I just, it just didn't work for me. And even the Brainiac thing, like, I think he could have done that better instead of making him the Collector of Worlds, make him Brainiac. Don't bring back a storyline that was supposed to long be since forgotten. And but I don't know. Was, and Grant Morrison grew up in the Silver Age. I think that's part of it, too. You got you to gotta know that because every story he takes from, he takes from the Silver Age. His Batman run and his current Action Comics run show that because he's a very Silver Age writer. And if he were writing comic books back then, I think it would fit. But I don't think it works for a more modern audience. I totally understand. I actually agree um, a lot of things you just said. Um, we let's move on to a discussion that includes um, a favorite writer of ours, Jeff Johns. Uh, yes. Uh, here's a here's a titles that I haven't been reading, but I wanted to. I wanted Michael to talk about it because there's something. You know, it's Jeff Johns for God's sake. You know, if anything he does his thing. So um, let's talk about. About like uh, um, a short summary of, of the Green Lantern book that he's sadly about to leave. It's so weird saying Jeff Johns leaving Green Lantern because, like for like at the beginning, of, like many years ago, I actually thought he created Green Lantern, so like that's how big I thought he was with it, uh, and it was an embarrassing revelation in the comic book store. Uh, but uh, but he, so he, the Green Lantern book, the Aquaman book, and um, the recent release Y book. So the floor is yours, Michael. Okay, um, starting with Green Lantern, I mean, you are correct to say that Jeff Johns created a Green Lantern, because he did create Simon Baz, who is, um, one of the five Green Lanterns in the comic books right now, well, six if you count, Alan Scott, Green Lantern is in the comics right now, but really, with, uh, Jeff Johns, like, people were asking me the other day, and I don't mean to go on another tangent, but I am anyway, people were asking me the other day, what I what Green Lantern arcs I would recommend. And I found myself only recommending Jeff John's Green Lantern arcs because overall, they're some of the best Green Lantern arcs out there and really the only well-thought-out, well-told Green Lantern arcs out there. I mean, if I were to start with Green Lantern, I would start with uh, Jeff John's Green Lantern Secret Origin. Then I would go into Green Lantern Rebirth and then start with Green Lantern Wa uh, Hal Jordan Wanted. And go from there, because really, like, stuff like Sinestro Corpse War, Rage of the Red Lanterns, Blackest Night, Brightest Day, Agent Orange, um, and obviously the current stuff with Sinestro, Simon Baz, and Black Hand and all that coming back, it's some of the best Green Lantern stuff out there. It really is, and the current arc, Wrath of the First Lantern, is very fun. It's, it's going back to the roots of the Green Lantern core, and it sounds like, after Jeff Johns leaves with issue 20, after they beat the First Lantern... It sounds like Sinestro may possibly die, and it sounds like that Hal Jordan is actually going to be the leader of the Green Lantern Corps um, coming out of Wrath of the First Lantern. So it's it's very it's a very exciting time to be a Green Lantern fan, and it was obviously in 2006 when he first started as well. But I, it's just I don't know what else more I can say about it. I mean, I'm really sad to see him go. It's just really sad. I mean, he is. Green Lantern to me in terms of um, writing style and how he writes the character and all that. So I, it's going to be hard for me to be able to pick up a, another writer. And I think I feel the same way if Scott Snyder leaves Batman, really. 
that that was a beautiful speech. I know, but like, no, but I, I, I'm, I'm serious. Like, that's um, such a well explained thought process about Jeff Charles because he is an amazing writer. Like, you know, because and I read a few a few things of his of his Queen Anne, and it's been I liked it. Like, you know, just like you know, as a casual, you know, not not, not a big Queen Anne like fan. It's like this is kind of awesome. So it's gonna be like when I saw like the announcement like Jeff Charles is leaving Queen Anne, I'm like. But it's like his baby, what the... Yeah, exactly. Well, and the funny thing is, too, Andy, is that for those of you who watch Green Lantern, the animated series, now I, I know once it's over, you're probably going to get into it because I highly recommend it to you. But the funny thing about that series is most of the higher concepts, most of um, the characters, most of a lot of stuff in that series um, alone was taken right out of Jeff Johns' uh, Green Lantern run. Like, the Red Lanterns, that's something Jeff Johns created. Saint Walker, that's something Jeff Johns created with the Blue Lanterns. Yeah, that's something Jeff Johns did. Uh, uh, Larflees, that's something Jeff Johns did. Making the Star Sapphires into their own core, like the Green Lanterns, that's something Jeff Johns did. And really, that series really compiled together everything big that Jeff Johns has done with Green Lantern and threw it into an animated series that really is quality on the level of Star Wars The Clone Wars in terms of cinematic feel. Because it really, you could see these characters in a movie. You could see the storyline as a movie. It is that good, and it's based off of writing that is that good. And, you know, people say the Green Lantern movie didn't do as well, and box office-wise it didn't. But I don't think it's a bad movie. I mean, Jeff Johns technically signed off on it, so, I mean, yeah. I mean, ultimately, Green Lan- it's, an, it's really an excited time to be a Green Lantern fan in terms of comics, the animated series, um, the animated movies, Green Lantern First Flight, and Green Lantern Emerald Guardians, or Emerald Knights, excuse me, and obviously the Green Lantern movie. So it's, it's just really a fun time to be a Green Lantern fan, and also a sad one because Jeff is leaving. Yeah, but, you know, we will always have it on, you know, he had, he's doing a lot of books, other books right now that is amazing as well, which we'll now get into, and he's also doing, you know, air episodes, so that's good, so, you know, we will, he's not dying, people, so that's no, a no, good no. thing. I mean, he's written for Justice League Unlimited, Smallville, and now he's doing a lot for Arrow, so that's that's really cool. Yeah, talk, let's talk about his other book, uh, the, uh, why, because I am, I have no idea why, but I... So he was m- mentioned briefly in the Justice League America first issue that was recently released, uh, but I have no idea who he is. Like, so wh- who is Vibe, and like, what it has what has Jeff done with him? Well, Vibe is basically a character who was created out of the '70s, where there was a lot of disco, and Vibe Vibe's powers are to basically create um, seismic reactions. He's basically an earthquake machine. And he's been really laughed at. He was part of the Justice League Detroit, which was led by Martian Manhunter, which is the most um, made fun of Justice League branch of all time. He, I mean, he's really been a laughable, put off to the side character. And the funny thing is, Jeff Johns and Andrew Kressberg, one of the showrunners on Arrow, actually, they're good friends. And they have been co-writing this book together. And the first issue just killed it. Like, they revamped the character, they gave him a good, solid origin that really started with Justice League uh, origin of the New 52, the first six issues of Justice League, and 
it really brings the character into a whole new limelight that I think people will really enjoy on the same level of um, Jamie Rye's Blue Beetle. So I that's that sounds like what they're doing with the character, and it's really fun. I like I like Vibe a lot now. I like the book a lot, and I can't wait for issue two, which is actually coming out next week, along with Justice League of America issue two. And really, they are the perfect companion books to each other. They they really sound yeah that's that's a, that's a, like a real good um, you know promote you know marketing strategy. So that's um, that sounds really interesting. I'm actually thinking of picking up because I he sounds really interesting. You know, a, a walking earthquake machine. That's like how do you how, how can you be called a superhero for that? That's kind of amazing. And um, and now they've so yeah. given him new powers too. Now he can see into like alternate dimensions, kind of and stuff like that as well. So he's he's also an alien detector in a sense fascinating so yeah so make sure to pick that up uh, next wednesday guys uh, when you listen to this sounds really interesting let's talk about uh, one final book before the next next discussion which is the aquaman book that has been incredibly pay, uh, praised um since the new future i'm not saying that he was you know uh, uh, well, talk about aquaman pre-52 like yes like how what how popular was he before that and how popular is he now thanks to jeff johnson's book um it depends on what era, really, that you talk about Aquaman, because there are times where he's been very weak. There are times where he has uh, had his hand cut off, had a hook, long hair, a beard, and been very strong. Um, there are a lot of different versions of Aquaman. I think the most iconic one is obviously the one in his uh, yellow, or I guess in the New 52 gold shirt with his green pants. And basically... Aquaman has been laughed at for the longest time because of his appearance on the Super Friends, because all he did was talk to fish, uh, sometimes jump really high, and occasionally punch things. And that that's really the reason why people made fun of him. But what people forget is he is the king of the ocean. He's the king of Atlantis. Technically, the ocean is his. And he's strong enough to punch Superman. If you've been reading Justice League, he punches Superman in the face at one point and sends him Small, into a building. Smallville? Remember what he did? You know, he... Yes, in Smallville as well. So, I mean, Aquaman, if you watch Smallville, if you've seen the Aquaman pilot starring Justin Hartley, which is fantastic, I highly recommend that. You can buy it on That's iTunes. That's a great pilot. It is, and it really should have been a series. Um, but if Or if you read Jeff John's uh, Aquaman... I almost said Aqualad. Aquaman book. I mean, he really is a big character. And he's very cool. He's very cool. And really, you don't understand that until you've read um, the first at least 13, I believe it is, issues of Aquaman that Jeff Johns has written. Because there's a point where, in issue 13, I believe it is, he's, he sends his trident right through Black Mana's helmet and rips it off Black Mana's head. It is awesome. Damn. And he punches <laughs> Superman in the face at one point and sends him flying. Like, he really is a big, strong character, and people don't realize that. And they make fun of him, like in the Robot Chicken DC comic special, which is hilarious, by the way, and Jeff Johns also co-wrote that. But, I mean, it's... <laughs> he, he really is an underrated character, and I think if you really want to appreciate Aquaman and really actually want to get into Aquaman and enjoy the character... Read Jeff John's run. The first four issues alone will make you want to keep reading because it just keeps getting better and better by every issue. And I think he's staying on that book. He's staying. I have I haven't heard that he's leaving on okay. that, but you know he's okay. okay. He's playing Justice League, Justice League of America, Aquaman, Vibe, um, 
and leaving Green Lantern. Yeah, so we, and I think and, and I think he's doing a sequel to uh, Batman Earth One at some point. Which yeah, he, he also that, yeah, he confirmed it at Comic Con, which uh, when I was, which uh, which I was at uh, last year, he okay. confirmed on the panel that there's a sequel. And good, I can't you, wait. There's for a that. there's a YouTube clip. If you're listening really close, uh, when he says about the sequel, you can hear a guy squeezing and of excitement and then squeezing and saying, you know, I, I love the book so much, which was me. People were looking at me funny and laughing, and but they were laughing with me, of course. <laughs> uh, but it's a, that's a good... Uh, Jeff John is a godfather of DC Comics. He's done so, so many good books. The only input I can put in on Aquaman is, you know, he's been featured in the Justice League books, and he's been, you know, the first time he shows up, he's... Incredibly awesome. Well, you know, Green Lantern like, makes fun of him, and then he goes, "Oh, really?" And he turns around, stabs a parademon in the head with his trident, punches another one, and then sends like five great white sharks to eat the rest. Yeah, well, it's, like it's incredible. <laughs> he's not it, it, a main character. He's a beast. It is, and you know, he should get a movie. And you know, if they would, ca- who I they want, I would cast him. Um, Aquaman would be Josh Dallas from Once Upon a Time. I would cast I Sam Worthington. You know what? Let's let's get it. Here's a casting I know you will agree on. Brian McPartin from Shock. That would be interesting. I don't know how I that know. would work. I know. People on the internet has like, suggested him. And like, I think it could be an interesting choice. I, I want to know how much he could do with the king aspect. You know, because the thing is with Aquaman that, that I've learned through these Justice League books when I see him is that he is... He is not a cheesy king. He is a leader and a king, but he is also a very modern character as well. And I think somebody like John Stiles, if you haven't watched Once Upon, if you watch Once Upon a Time, you like uh, um, Joss as uh, Queen Charming, you you kind of see what I mean because he looks like an Aquaman, you know. But the thing is, like you know, because that that would be maybe a problematic thing because he had to kind of leave. Mar- uh, Marvel, the, the four world uh, franchise, because of his commitment to the show. But, uh, but otherwise, like aside from Aquaman, like, he he is something that I think would be interesting to see on the big screen. I think you know he is, he sounds like a such a cool character. I never was this, he uh, one of Thor's friends in Thor. Was he yeah, the, he was the blonde one. And Zach Zachary Levi's replacing him, right? That's the one. Yes, they okay. wanted him first in that the first movie, but because yeah, that would work actually. It's, it's so weird that. to see Sacred Levi as blonde. It's going to be awesome. I love Sacred Levi. We, we, we love Sacred Levi. Watch Shock. It's on Netflix now. So, um, Well, and the see, thing is, too, Andy, and going off what you're saying about uh, him being a leader and a more modern character, like, if you watch Smallville, if you watch the Season 5 episode Aqua and the Season 6 episode Justice, and then you watch the Season 8 episode Odyssey and the Season 10 episode Patriot, the first two episodes that Aquaman is in, he's very much like a surfer, a diver, a bro, you know, that that kind of guy. And then you watch his last two appearances, and he is king of the ocean. He is Aquaman, and he is ready to fulfill his destiny just as much as Clark is ready to fulfill, fulfill his. So there's a big character arc with him overall, yes. and I think we're really seeing that in Jeff Johns' Aquaman. And yeah. obviously Justice League as well, but more so in Aquaman because that is his title book. Of course, and um, you know it's uh, so it's a, yeah, it's a, it's like you said with Green Lantern. It's an exciting time for uh, being an Aquaman fan as well because this is like 
his best time, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, Smallville, the Aquaman pilot, which, by the way, I think is most likely the the closest we'll ever get to an Aquaman movie. So if you, if you want to see Aquaman in live action with just Aquaman, watch the Aquaman pilot starring Justin Hartley. Just type in Aquaman into iTunes and you'll find it. It's really simple. It's under TV shows. It is amazing. So go watch it and read the Aquaman comic by Jeff Johns because really... It's very worth it. It'll make you take Aquaman a little more seriously, and it's it's exciting. It, it really is. He has an exciting character and an exciting universe of his own, just like Batman is in his own universe. It's very cool. For sure, though. So, let, let's talk about some upcoming books in the DC universe that, that we are really excited for. Um, first of all, let's talk about Scott Snyder and Jim Lee's new Superman series that will be released in the, this June called Superman Unchained, and I will read a s- small uh, description about what it is about. Um, when 13 satellites fall from the sky in one day, the logical suspect, su- suspect is Lex Luthor, even though he's still locked up in prison. But a stranger, qu- stranger question remains, if Superman didn't stop the last missile from falling, who did? There's a mystery hidden where, where even Superman can't see it. Can a man of steel drag a decades-old secret into the light? Don't miss the debut of this red-hot new series from two of comics' comics brightest superstars, Scott Snyder and Jim Lee. We've seen the cover. Yeah. It's amazing. We've seen and, both covers. Oh, right. There's, yeah, exactly. And it's... Um, I, I'm i looking forward to this series. It sounds... You know, Scott Snyder, I read some of the Batman issues that he's done. And it's amazing. And Jim Lee, he's... I can't believe that I met him at Comic Con. I have a photo of him. It's so amazing. Like with Jeff John, like, but it's like Jim Lee is an amazing, amazing artist. He's, you know, you, what more can you ask for? Yeah, I know. He, he really is good. I don't know why people don't like him. It's because some people don't. But yeah, it's it's it, he's a really good artist. I love him a lot. I loved his work on Batman Hush, uh, Justice League Origin, and Superman for Tomorrow. Those are some of the highlights of Jim Lee's work that I personally have really always enjoyed. Um, but And I do think Scott Snyder is also, also a great writer. He wa- writes currently for um, iVampire, I think it is, or it's American Vampire, one of the two. Obviously, he writes Batman, and he also writes Swamp Thing currently for DC. So, And he did write Flashpoint Superman. So he does know how to write Superman. I've read that. It's a pretty good story arc for taking place in an alternate universe or an alternate timeline, excuse me. So it's it's very cool. I, I I'm very excited for this book, The S is Silent. Yes, uh, so that's a book we recommend, and there's then another book that is being done by Greg Pag. I think I said his name right. I think so. I called the Isaiah's right. Yes, I did. Uh, named Batman Superman, and this is what it says and uh, what it's about. A new epic begins with the debut of this new ongoing series. Don't miss the first fateful meeting of Batman and Superman in the new future too. So this is going to be, from what I have read, this is going to be taking place before the, before the first Justice chapter of League Justice League. Yeah. Yes. Yep. And Which is weird, and people are saying that it doesn't work because Justice League 1 and 2 are the first meeting of Batman and Superman. But if you actually read the dialogue carefully... It seems like it's possible that they have met before, so I'm, well, they, I'm looking forward to this. I I don't know if this was action comics or if this was Superman, but I, I think it was action comic. But they met each other at some point. But maybe that was one of those occasions when Grant Morrison was jumping between timelines, and I was yes, I just misunderstood. But 
they have met before before just leaving. You know, it's um, they're maybe not maybe that proud that they know each other, but I don't know. But I think it's gonna be an interesting book. The artwork, oh my god, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, the cover art looks very good. I, I I like it a lot. It's enough for me to buy the book for sure. Yeah. So the, and this also comes out in June, which will also be a special month for Superman, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, so these we recommend these two new books uh, that will come out this um, later this year. So pick them up and um, because they they're gonna be awesome. Uh, otherwise, if you don't, I'll put you on his list. Now, the ninth and final comic discussion, which is a more a more Jeff Johns section again, but this time it's about Just League and his recently launched Just League of America. Now, Just League, let's talk about that. What have you felt about it so far? I feel the first six issues could be what they do for the Justice League movie. Easily, I think that would be the best way to introduce the original seven. Obviously, I would replace Cyborg with Martian Manhunter because he is a character that people will recognize from Justice League Animated Series, Young Justice, Smallville. People will be able to access him more than Cyborg, I think. Uh, even have Phil Morris come back to play him. I would love that. That would be very cool. Um, but I, I, re I really loved Origin. Origin really set the tone for the New 52 for me. The first issue of the New 52 was Justice League 1, and I think it was absolutely what we needed. Jeff Johns, Jim Lee, Justice League. And yes, it was just Batman, Green Lantern, and Superman for the first issue. But man, once you get to issue 5 and 6, like things really start hitting the fan. And it's very cool to see them fight Darkseid. I mean, finally, someone's come up with the brilliant idea to actually stab Darkseid in the eyes with a sword and a trident. Because no one has ever tried to blind him, so they can't blast you with Omega Beams. I mean, finally, come on. But, um, but yeah, so I like that. The villain's uh, journey was a very good arc, as was Throne of Atlantis, which tied in with Aquaman. Very good arcs. Uh, I liked the small Cheetah arc, where the League went up against Cheetah. I thought that was pretty cool. That was a neat, that was a neat little arc, nice little nod to the Wonder Woman comics. And um, Justice League 7 and 8 were the in-between issues that, that take place in between the five-year gap between Origin and Villain's, excuse me, Villain's Journey. So I liked that because issue seven took place during that those five years and dived into what they've been doing. And then eight was really about Green Arrow. And really what eight is, all it is is a prologue to Justice League of America. And it took them a while to bring out Justice League of America, but that's ultimately what it was. And it really got me pumped for it when I reread it and then read Justice League of America 1. I absolutely I agree with you. It's Justice League is one of the, 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 the top favorite uh, book yeah. every month that I pick up. Uh, it's uh, I, I'm, just, I'm just looking through issue 4, uh, you know, where we, you know, the one that you had to turn upside down, you, you can see Darkseid at full. It's... It's amazing. It's, a, well, it's the best book, you know. I, I love, you know, how they... Bring, assemble this team together because, you know, like with Avengers or something like that, you know, they're not agreeing with each other that much at the beginning. You know, they are skeptical to each other and, you know, have different ways of, you know, fighting for justice. Uh, but, like, it's an amazing book. You know, it feels, if they would do a movie, which we will talk about the Justice League situation later on, they should follow this kind of uh, formula or something like that. So, it's an amazing book and I love... Um, uh, something that I didn't meant write in the script was, you know, the Shazam story that uh, Jeff Shawn is writing. It's how, how, Captain Marvel has been an interesting character throughout the years, but I think 
you know, I, this is the first time that I've been in, in contact with it, and I, I love it. The, yeah. I, um, I, I, we talked about this before off, um, off microphone, but, like, uh, how do you feel about the Shazam story? The Shazam story is very good. I like it a lot. I love uh, Gary Frank's artwork on it. Oh, okay. I, I, amazing. I think ultimately, well, I really do hope ultimately they release uh, the mini series of Shazam that's at the back of Justice League as its own graphic novel type thing. I really hope they do that at some point. That would be very cool. But I do, I do like it. The thing that started to tick me off was just recently. So I mean, I've, I've loved it up until this point where Billy as Captain Marvel, or I guess Shazam because of the rights. Um, basically shuns Freddie Freeman. And that kind of put me over the deep end because Captain Marvel, to me, has always cared about his family over everything else. And at this point, Freddie really is the only family he's got. So that that really seemed out of character of Billy Badson for me. But I think that'll be, um, that'll be changed once the Shazam art comes to a close. And once he either joins the Justice League or gets his own series. Unless they just keep doing him in the background, which I don't think they're going to do because I don't think that completely does the character justice. It does, uh, uh, especially in a book called Justice League. Uh, exactly. Ha, 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 best, worst pun intended ever. And, um, well, I agree. It's I think they should do it as an own book. and um, But it's a good story, so I like it. Uh, just before we move on to the media discussion, let's talk about the new... The recently launched JLA book by Jeff John as well, which features heroes like Green Arrow, um, Martian Manhunter, and so on. And I, lo- I loved the first issue. It was really good. You know, I loved that they, how they, how he and um, Steve Trevor and Amanda Waller were talking about assembling this team. It felt really different from how they were doing with Justice League. And uh, it's not we can't say much about it because it's only one issue so far. But the second issue is coming out this Wednesday with Vibe. So, but I, I, think it's, I think it's going to be a really good series as well. And um, what do you think? What did you think of the first issue? It was a lot of explanation, but I think it needed to be just based off of um, explaining the difference between Justice League of America and Justice League, Justice League Dark, and Justice League International. I think you really needed that difference explained, and I think the whole picking the team, I liked that a lot because we still got to see each individual member in action in their own front. So I, I like that a lot. I like the team that Steve Trevor picks. I think it works, and I like that Amanda Waller still has her hand in it because that's very cool. And like I said, Vibe really enhances the book. So if you read Justice League of America 1, it's almost a given to read Vibe as well because it really does enhance the story um, in terms of one character's perspective, obviously, but I I think it will help explain some of the things that are to come in Justice League of America. And I would also um, pick up at least Katana 1 because Katana now is a member of the Justice League of America, the JLA, and I, I read the first issue and I did like it. I don't know if I'll come back for the second, but it's it's an interesting story, and it's really a hit or miss for people. If you like samurai mystic stuff, it's the book for you. And it really fits into Justice League of America as well. So Exactly. Uh, I might pick up Katana as well sooner or later. Um, now, that concludes our comic book discussion. Now, we will talk about comic book media discussion. And the first we're going to talk about is the upcoming animated film Superman Unbound that is based on Jeff John's successful Superman Brainiac book. Um, the, it's, um, 
it's a I've seen a trade we've seen a trade of both of us and it has some really good co- voice actors behind. We have Matt Bomer as Superman and so for you fringe fans out there, Mike, Michael's gonna love this one. John Noble as Brainiac. Yes. And uh, we have Stena Kadek as Lois Lane, who we all Stena Kadek is from Castle, which we covered on our cross airwaves. Mm-hmm. And Molly Quinn as Kara Sorel Supergirl. Uh Who's also from Castle, which and um, and the thing is, Superman Brainiac is an amazing book. I I have a confession to make. I w- I got to read it from a friend during the the Superman panel where Jeff John was on, uh, while they were talking, and I was reading it because I had never read it before. But I, I was listening while they were talking for course as well, and it was um, it was an amazing book. And I it's a, the trailer, them animation looks so amazing because the late the last Superman film, Superman vs. Elite, I believe was, I haven't seen it, but the, the thing is, the animation bothered me. Don't looked, worry about it, the animation. The story is fantastic. You will love it. Okay. I, I, I thought the same thing, and so did Dan. I brought it to Dan's house, and I'm like, Dan, you have to watch this, and he loved it, too. It's it's really that good. If the animation puts you off that much, uh, just close your eyes, because it really is a great story. I mean, just like Green Lantern in the animated series, for those of you who don't like that 3D animation... The story is enough to keep you interested. Uh, yeah, exactly. I so, what do you what, what are your what, what are your expectations for this movie and uh, this cast that you just heard? I love the cast. Perfect cast. I personally wanted Matt Bomber as Superman in Man of Steel. So to see him still voice Superman this year around the same time Man of Steel comes out is actually a dream come true for me because I didn't think we were ever gonna see it. Because I thought he looked like Superman, I thought he sounded like Superman, I thought he could play a good Superman, and now I'm glad to see that he is playing a Superman. So, that was very happy for me, and I'm loving that John Noble is in something after Fringe. I've missed him since that Fringe finale, and I'm glad out of any character he's voicing Brainiac, because that is just so perfect for him. If you Lord of the Rings fans have seen him in Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, and I believe Return of the King as well, you will know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. He's an amazing actor. As, so. well, as well as Walter Nate on Fringe. Man, Walter Nate. Ugh. Yeah. And um, the movie will be out on May 7th, 2013 uh, on Blu-ray and DVD, from what I've heard. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the discussion, uh, the expectations and of the upcoming movies of Phase 2 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. First off, Iron Man 3. The, 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 the third and last movie of the, the, the trilogy, uh, I'm, I'm only saying of the trilogy because I don't want to say that it's a his, Robert, Robert Downey Jr.'s final movie as Iron Man because, let's face it, Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark in real life. So, and we don't have to worry that he's not going to be in Iron Man 2 or something because he will. But this is, the last, this is the third and last movie of the trilogy and as he faces one of his powerful enemies from the comic, the Mandarin. Michael, what are your expectations for this movie? I'm expecting it to be Dark Knight Rises for Iron Man. I have I have a lot of expectations for it. I've um, been waiting for this film since Iron Man 1 came out. I, before Iron Man in 2008, I did not know much about the character. I did a lot of research in the um, months leading up to the film. Read almost everything, and the Mandarin was the one villain who always stuck out to me. I thought he should have been the villain in the first. Then I thought that about the second, and then I was glad they waited till the third because with the Ten Rings terrorist organization, they kept boosting it up and boosting it up and boosting it up, and I think it's going to turn out really well. It seems like a very good Iron Man story to me. They're combining a lot of um, classic Iron Man storylines that I like, 
and characters as well. So I am I'm very pumped for this movie, especially after the trailers. Obviously, not more. For, I'm more pumped for Man of Steel, but that's a whole lot of a discussion. Yeah, that's what we'll get to very soon. I'm very excited for it as well. I'm uh, looking forward to see what um, this story will will be about, especially for some of the supporting characters, because it's. Um, I, I want to see what happens, especially with Pepper in this episode. In this episode, this movie, uh, because I, I love Iron Pepper and I love the character. Three. So let's talk then. Next next movie, For the Dark World, which will be the second movie in the Ford franchise, and um, which will be out in November. I also forgot to say that Iron Man Three will be out on May third. And um, so For the Dark World, okay, what? It's it's been kind of up and down with the storyline because I it's been. I'm not really sure what it is about. I know what the villain, who the villain is, which which is Malkeith, uh, Malkeith, uh, if I said it right, who's going to be played by two Doctor Who fans out there. He's going to be played by Christopher Eccleston, who's an amazing actor. So it's going to be interesting to see what he'll bring to the role. But I don't, I'm not really sure what this film is about. I think it's going to be based a lot on Asgard. It is. Um, they're going to be on Asgard a lot. Obviously, there will be stuff on Earth because Jane Foster is coming back. Um, but we will see a lot on Asgard. I think a lot of it has to do with Loki's trial and people from the other nine realms, I think are going to want to kill him because of waging war like he did. Um, including probably Malkeith and the Dark Elves. The Dark Elves are obviously the main villains, so I'm assuming Thor and his friends will be going to that world at some point to take on Malkeith. So that'll be very interesting. I don't, other than that, not much has been released about the movie, so I don't really know all too much about it. Uh, exactly. Um, one side note is, you know, Sacred Levi as Fandral, that's going to be very exciting because, you know, Sacred Levi is an amazing actor, and I think it's about time that he gets to be in a big movie like this and so on. I think it's going to, he's going to look so awesome in blonde hair. Yeah. I agree. Uh, now, those are the movies that will come out this year. Now, next year we will have two other Marvel movies. Um, the first one will be that will come out, which is on April 4th, 2014, is the sequel to uh, in the Captain America franchise, Captain America the Winter, Winter Soldier. Now, if you fans are familiar with Winter, Winter Soldier, you will probably realize what it is about, but um, I am really excited for this movie, even though it has not started production yet. It ha- you know, We don't really know about the whole story, but we know that the Winter Soldier is, is there. And it's somebody from his past. Uh, do you think we should say who it is, or should we just keep it a secret? We should probably keep it a secret, but if you want to know who the Winter Soldier is and what the storyline is about, go read um, Captain America, the Winter Soldier by Ed Brubaker, I think is the writer of that series, Ed Brubaker from Marvel. So go read that if you want to know more about this movie, because other than that, not much has been officially released. Yeah, they've been they've been starting casting people for uh, they cast people uh, an actor for um, the character Crossbones. Um, yes. Um, he's gonna be played by uh, Frank Grillo, who's an uh, I saw him in the uh, in the movie last year. He's an amazing actor, so yeah, he's gonna he's gonna be good. We know that Scarlett uh, Johansson as Black Widow will be back, and Kobe Smolder as Maria Hill. So, there will be a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans, and there's also a new superhero going to be introduced, uh, Sam Wilson, a.k.a. Falcon, played by Anthony Mackie. So, there's a lot of, I think there's going to be a lot of, um, I think it's going to be based on, a lot on his um, 
trying to reconnect with you know the world because you know he is still a few years behind. Yeah. If you know what I mean. And uh, so next movie, the last movie that we ha- we're going to talk about from the Marvel Cinematic Universe is Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's a film that we don't really know much about. Uh, there's a log line that I'm going to read for you. It's like one sentence, and it is about a U.S. pilot who ends up in space in the middle of a universal conflict and goes on the run with futuristic ex-cons who have something everyone wants. Recently, it was announced that the uh, former wrestling uh, uh, and for, former wrestling wrestler David David Bautista, as I probably said it wrong, has been cast as Drag the Destroyer, and uh, a few, two months ago it was announced that Chris Pratt was cast as Star Lord. But otherwise, we don't really know what this is about because honestly, I'm not familiar with Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't really know much about them. But it sounds like a really you know the concept art that was released at Comic Con last year was kind of it looked kind of amazing and like. To see all that in live action is going to be interesting, but what do you think, Michael? What do you, how much uh, are you familiar with the Guardians of the Galaxy? I am not very familiar with this team at all, quite honestly. I I have not read anything they have been in. I understand the Drax character, and that's about it, but I don't know much about him personality-wise. I just know who he is and what he does. I mean, I... I'll, I Really, this movie is going to be interesting for me because it is the one big superhero team, or I guess not really a superhero team, but one big Marvel team that I don't really know anything about. So it, it'll be interesting. I know the main villain in the movie is going to be Thanos, which will be interesting how they do Avengers 2 then. But um, I'm looking forward to it. If this movie does not go well, though, do do not expect to see any characters like Doctor Strange, Neighbor of the Submariner, um, characters like that. Uh, smaller characters, Daredevil, get their own movies ever again, because this really is a trial run for Marvel in that regard. Yeah, um, they pretty much have Phase 2 set up, and it's like, I know Admin is going to kick off Phase 3, and they've been talking about possibly using Doctor Strange for Phase 3, but like you said, Michael is right, you know, if this doesn't go well, it's going to be, because this is a different kind of theme and um, aspect of the Marvel Universe. Uh, but now let's move on to the X-Men movies at Fox. The Wolverine, which will be out on July 26th. Um, it's based on the book by Frank Miller, uh, Wolverine. And it's uh, about Wolverine going, traveling around the world. And it's going to take place after X-Men 3. But otherwise, it's been kept a lot under wraps. And it's been... The casting for a lot of the characters has been very strange to me. Because like, I'm sure there are characters on the books, but... Um, I don't know much about it, but I'm excited to see Hugh Jackman again in a Wolverine film. Uh, how do you feel about it? I'm excited for this movie. I think this is the Wolverine film, the Wolverine in general, that everyone has been wanting to see ever since, you know, X-Men, uh, the first X-Men movie by Brian Singer came out. This is exactly what we've been waiting for since then, since 2001, and I think we will get that here. Because unfortunately, X-Men Origins Wolverine, while I did think it was a fun movie, I was entertained, and I enjoyed it, unlike a lot of comic book fans, um, it just wasn't fully Wolverine. And I think this movie is going to be fully Wolverine, and I think we're going to see the Beast Unleashed in an environment that he's not familiar with, first of all, and second of all, he's not hindered by anyone on the X-Men. He, he's doing everything on his own here. So it'll be very interesting. And what will be even more interesting 
as if they somehow used this movie to lead into X-Men Days of Future Past, which I know we're going to talk about in a minute, but that'll, that would be very interesting as well. So I'm looking forward to this movie. I think it'll be the X-Men First Class of the Summer, meaning that it'll be the, um, the uh, how, how do I say this, one-hit one hit wonder sort of thing in the sense of it'll be the unspoken wonder of the summer, I guess, is what I'm really trying to say. Kind of like Iceman First Class and Amazing Spider-Man were last year. Yeah, exactly. So let's move on to X-Men, X-Men Days of Future Past. This is, it's, I think it's going to be one of the biggest and riskiest the X-Men movies they have ever done because they are assembling the some of the, a lot of the cast members from First Class and the X-Men trilogy. Because yeah. we're gonna see two, we're gonna see two Professor X, two Magnetos, and played by the actors that portray the roles in respected uh, franchises. Uh, franchises, and um, you know we have we have Sean Ashmore coming back as eyes. We have Rogue coming back, Kitty Pride. Uh, you know, it's Days of Future Past. I think this could be. The thing that could fix the X Men franchise because of what happened with X Men Three, because X Men Three kind of killed a lot of the chances of the franchises to move on. Yeah. And um, no, but I'm excited for it. It's just that. How do you feel about it? Are, like so far with the, the announcement they have done, like have you are you excited for the character that are coming back, the character that will be introduced? Like, is it someone that you still want to be, see there? I really want Cyclops and Jean to be back in this movie. Even if they're not played by the actors who played them in the trilogy, I would be okay with seeing younger versions of themselves being alongside the team and helping out in the past. I, I Ultimately, the combination of the two teams in a movie format and the possibility that we'll see the villain, the big X-Men villain Apocalypse, who originally is not from the Days of Future Past storyline, it will be very cool and very interesting. Um and I, I honestly have no problem with him being in it, even though he's from a different arc. He's not from this arc. He's from a different arc. I don't have a problem with him being in it, however, because if you watch X-Men First Class, that movie is not comics accurate at all, except in terms of the characters themselves. So, and that was probably the best X-Men movie there has been. And if this movie tops it with all the cast members and, you know, time traveling and all that, and obviously Brian Singer returning, which is good... Mm-hmm. I, I think I think this could be probably one of the best superhero movies out there. On 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 par with the Avengers, on par with Superman two, The Dark Knight, stuff like that. I, I think it really has the potential to be that, and I really hope we, it goes there. I really do. Absolutely. Now, one last Marvel movie before we move into the DC thing is the Amazing Spider-Man two, the sequel to Mark Webb's Amazing Spider-Man franchise that is currently shooting somewhere. I, I I I forget where it's shooting right now, but we have some new characters coming in that we know from the comics, like Electro, Harry Osborn, Mary Jane, the Rhino, and Norman Osborn. Yeah. Now, a lot. So I think one of, one of the biggest questions right now with this film is regarding Gwen Stacy because of why because of the reason why Mary Jane has been introduced now is. Because we all know that sadly, Emma Stone's Gwen Stacy, who we all loved from the first movie, is sadly going to have to face her comic book death on the big screen at some point. And this could happen in this movie, which is 
I find that bigger possibility now because Chris Cooper, who's going to play Norman Osborn, is now in the movie. Now, we don't know if he's going to be Green Goblin yet because we already have, like, two big villains. We have Rhino for the first time on big screen as well as Electro, played by Jamie Foxx. And... Foxx, Michael, what do you think is going to happen? Like, this is huge. I don't know if she'll die in this movie, and he, her being Gwen, obviously... I, I think they're going to set up a lot of it, but I think they're also going to be setting up Green Goblin. And unless Green Goblin comes in at the end of the movie, kills her to get back at Spider-Man, and they continue his arc in the third, which they could do, I don't see her dying in this movie, but I see it going that direction. I Which makes me very sad, because I really like this version of Gwen Stacy, a lot like the spectacular Spider-Man TV series version of Stacy, or Gwen Stacy. And I really like her uh, chemistry with Peter Parker or Andrew Garfield, I guess, in this um, in this franchise, especially since uh, now they're dating in real life uh, after the movie. So it's really interesting to see them go from fake chemistry to in this movie will be real chemistry, which will be really cool. I agree, and it's um, I'm just fascinated that we're going to see Rhino and Electro on the big screen live action for the first time because so far, you know, they we had Dark Ark and Venom and. Uh, Green Goblin in the in the first trilogy, but how do you think they're gonna do Rhino and Electro? To be honest, like you know, I think Electro is gonna be like his ultimate counterpart in terms of looks, but Rhino, that's um, do you think it's gonna be Oscar related? Yes. Yes, I do. I I don't know how exactly. I'm sure Electro may be a scientist working for them. And something will happen, and, you know, Rhino could be part of a government contract. True. And hopefully they will reveal who did that, that Shadow Man in the, at the end of Amazing Spider-Man was as well. Unless it was normal. Was it? Oh. Yes, they, I hope, perhaps, who knows. Now, we're going to move into our fifth and final media discussion which is the DC Cinematic Universe's current situation. First of all, we're going to discuss a little bit about Zack Snyder's upcoming Man of Steel, the, the reboot of the Superman franchise. I, you know, this is the movie that I think all of us at, at ATA, I think all, at least us, us you, and, you and me, Michael, are very excited for. It's, yeah. it's Superman. It's a character we've grown up with and loved since we were kids. And like... But this... It, it, that's the thing, like, we don't know much about this one as well, because Zack Snyder, you know, when it comes to no one, he makes everybody shut up, basically. Yeah. Like, like maybe, gosh, he and Otto would be so good friends, because, you know, keeping secrets and being that extreme, you know, uh, <laughs> could work. Very um, nice. But, like, I, I, I'm expecting it, it to be a good summer block, blockbuster film. I think it's going to be one of the biggest films of the year. Um, if not, if not like one of the biggest superhero movies of the year, because it's Superman and it's the seven fifth anniversary. You know that's why they're doing so much Superman meet related things right now. And um, I think we should. Uh, it, it's we will talk about mention Man of Steel throughout this this last point, which is based on a rumor that was dropped last week. And we we uh, once again the disclaimer: we're not. Uh, attacking or criticizing the website, we're criticizing the rumor that's been released. Last week, it was released by Latino Review that Christopher Nolan, the man who Godfathered and uh, who got who Godfathered the Man of Steel movie and who did the Dark Knight trilogy, 
is now being taken into to, to Godfather the DC Cinematic Universe. And with that, it's it's also been said that Christian Bell, the the, the, the Batman we loved in the, the Dark Trilogy, is also returning as Batman in this universe with Henry Kill Superman. Now, Michael and I we've been kind of skeptical to this rumor. And Michael, would you like to go first? Uh, sure. Um, basically how I feel about this, and I talked to Dan, and I talked to Wu, and obviously I talked to Andy about it as well. I feel that it's a good choice to bring Nolan in as a quote-unquote godfather in the same sense as, uh, as um, Kevin Feige or Joss Whedon is to the Avengers. Um, I think that's a good choice to do for the uh, DC Cinematic Universe because you have credibility in that name. People will respect that name, and people will go see whatever movie his name is attached to, and I think that's part of the reason Man of Steel will do really well. However, the news that um, Christian Bale is in talks to come back as Batman in a Justice League film, this really worries me. And it really worries me because of this. The Dark Knight Rises had such a perfect ending for that universe's Batman. He was finally happy. He was out of the life he was in. He had avenged his parents' death and saved Gotham City on more than one occasion. And ultimately, that was his mission, and he completed his mission. I feel that if you bring Bale back as Batman in a Justice League film, you not only dishonor that mission and the whole Dark Knight Rises, but you also dishonor the character of John Blake because at this point he would be Batman and I think that takes away from his arc and ultimately it's just it's just not right to bring him back and I don't take this the wrong way I love Christian Bale as Batman obviously when Dan and I did the road to the Dark Knight Rises where we did the commentaries on Batman Begins and the Dark Knight we love Nolan and Bale's Batman a lot but what I've been noticing most recently in watching The Dark Knight Rises, The Dark Knight, and Batman Begins is that Nolan's version of Batman does not fit in the same universe as a Justice League. And really, he doesn't fit in a universe with anyone with superpowers, quite honestly. And that has nothing to do with Bale's acting performance. That has to do with how the character was written and the character's arc in those three films. Now, based off of that... I think you're just smarter to recast Batman. People already know who he is, but if you give him a different costume, make him look younger, people will be able to tell the difference between Batman in Justice League and Batman in The Dark Knight Rises. But I think if you bring in Bale and try and make him a different version of Batman or, you know, an older Batman or whatever you want to do, I don't think that will work because people will think it still has ties to The Dark Knight Rises and people will be very confused, and there will be a lot of criticism about the movie. So my best bet is to just recast Batman uh, with the actor who is about Henry Cavill's age and looks similar to comics version of Bruce Wayne as uh, Henry Cavill does to comics version of Superman. I think that is your best bet. A younger, more agile actor who maybe is an unknown, who can pull off both Bruce Wayne and Batman in a Justice League movie. That is my opinion on that. Alright, my, I prepared a statement, which is similar, to, a lot similar to what Michael just said. Um, I love Christopher Nolan as a filmmaker. He's the reason why 
I wanted to become a screenwriter and a director in the future. And here's one of the reasons why I went to London for six months to study a film course there. I would love to see him being the Kevin Feige of the DC Cinematic Universe. I, he, he has an amazing way of telling a story, you know, fixed, you know, creating a story, telling a story um, in so many ways. I'm up for Christopher Nolan because, and also because something that I've been reading some, some other place is that, you know, people are afraid that he's going to make the movie dark, but like, no. Christopher Nolan is not a dark filmmaker. He is he's a baby. he's able to tell dark stories, but he can do, you know, he can do other things as well. So if he would be part of this, this as a godfather, I would be standing and applauding because I love him. Christian Bell, he's always going to be my favorite iconic Batman. George Clooney, you know, uh, Michael Keaton, Walt Kilmer, and everybody else that's played Batman, they can, they are he, they, they, some of them have good, done a good job, like Michael Keaton um, and Kevin. What's what's the, what's his last name in the animated one? Kevin Cameron. Yeah, he is. They they have done some great job, but Christian Bale is always and will always be my iconic Batman and Bruce Wayne. I don't want to see him in this film. I don't want to see him in Justice League. I don't want to see him in the world's finest film. I. And this has to do with the Dark Trilogy. If they would break that, 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 that the ending, they would ruin the effect, they would take away the effect. The effect would be lost after on um, the Dark Horizons. And also, there's, I talked to a friend recently, and I, in three minutes, I was able to explain him eight big plot holes that plot aspect that needed, that would be, needed to be fixed if they would bring in bail. Because, you know, there's been talks about, you know, they're going to rest kind of things, or they're just going to ignore things, or they're going to just, like, he is the new Batman, but, like, not the new Batman, if you know what I mean. And I, you know, I think it's time for new Batman. I, there's a lot of good actors out there who could pull it off. It's one, we, we talked about an actor uh, a couple of minutes ago, was Matt Bomer. I could see him play I could see him play Batman as well, actually. I think you would have to ma- you would have to shoot the film to make him look a little taller. But I think that he could easily that can be fixed. That's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah. The guy who played Bane, Tom Hardy, he was actually he's actually very short in real life, but they've shot in a way that made him look larger than life, larger than Batman himself. So I think if you were to do that with Matt Bomber, I think he could very easily play Batman, and I think he'd have fun with the role. I think he could do both Bruce Wayne and Batman really well because he does that charming, um, rich boy act like he does on Chuck with his character of um, Bryce Larkin. And I think he can also do that action that he also does as Bryce Larkin. So, I mean, the character of Bryce Larkin on Chuck that Matt Bomber plays really is who um, Bruce Wayne and Batman is in a se- in the sense of action and yeah. how he can act in terms of um, acting like someone he's not. I mean, obviously, Batman doesn't use guns or shoot people or team up with spies, but the overall theme and the gist of it is pretty much the same. So I think it, I think it would work really well. I think that's good casting. I, I, was, I was almost afraid that you were going to scream like, no, he should only be Superman, not Batman. So no, I'm but like, I, I, am, I was... am glad he's playing Superman in some fashion because he was my first choice as Superman, but I, I do see the potential of him as Batman, and I think that's a very yeah. good casting choice, Andy. Exactly, because it can, you know, you talked about it being an unknown, of course, it could, you know, somebody, I don't know, but not, like, not a big name, perhaps, you know, he's a TV name, you know, so I think that could work. Yeah, uh, a lot but, of TV names are getting into movies nowadays, and it's been, and they've been very well received, so I think exactly. Matt Bomber would be well received as well, easily. 
Yeah. Uh, going back to my point, it's like, I think that, I think we're ready for it. Because the thing is, the, a realistic universe, they, 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 okay, look, you can throw fears at us saying, you know, they could do, like, you know, they could just say that, you know, after Batman the Dark Horizon, you know, Superman showed up, uh, you know, he was the first extraterrestrial, whatever. But, you know, that's just sheep, you know, like, just do, you, like, you know, oh, we didn't, you know, because they never planned that. Right. I mean, how do you explain Green Lantern, who's a human with an alien-powered ring? How do you explain the Flash, who's a human who has superpowers of the Speed Force? How do you explain Wonder Woman? How do you explain Aquaman, who's half human, half Atlantean? How do you explain Marsh? Well, you could explain Martian Manhunter, but he's the only one. Exactly, and it's like, and it feels slapped on. It feels lazy. Yeah, and like it, it, one thing that's been part of this rumor is that David Goy, who's written, who was part of the Dark Trilogy and who's written the Man of Steel movie is possibly being brought in for writing the Justice League script, you know, because at the script right now, people, whatever you've been hearing right now is, is take it with a grain of salt, all of it, because we don't know if Will be all who wrote Grand Squad is still part of it. We just heard that he just signed a two-picture deal with Warner Brothers, which means he can write basically anything. And he could be writing the next two Man of Steel movies, for all we know. Sorry? I said he could be writing the next two Man of Steel movies, for all we know. We don't know if, if it's Justice yeah, League or not. Exactly. We you know we we don't know anything. So anything you hear, because there's always rumors every day now that you know take it as a rumor. Before until a studio confirms that or denies that, don't just be up upside that or get you know sad or whatever. But the thing is, like DC needs DC Entertainment and Warner Bros. need to find a structure. You know, and we've been going about this for a good while, like off microphone and so like like. Should they do like the Avengers? Should they not do that like the Avengers? What should they do? And we were talking about the first six issues of Justice League. You know, what what if that was like the storyline? You know that they already exist because we have a Green Lantern, we have a Hal Jordan. You know, Ryan Reynolds should get another chance because he yes. was good. And they really and, should uh, make a Green Lantern too because even Mark Guggenheim, showrunner on Arrow and co-writer of that movie, wishes they got another chance to you know do it right. Yeah, exactly. And you know, they are Mark Guggenheim and Greg Blandy, who was who, who was two of the writers who wrote the Green Lantern script. They do amazing work on Arrow. I don't. I have problems understanding what people had problems with with the Green Lantern movie, but that's a discussion for another day. I think that their their Green Lantern should be part of the Justice League because we have a Green Lantern. You know, they can the story can be develop more and so on because they have they have a structure that's, that can work well, but we and that's like... and that's a superhero movie excuse me andy and that's a superhero movie that people are familiar with that could still fit in to a justice league universe unlike the dark knight franchise which for the longest time nolan said it's separate and then once dark knight rises came out he said it's over end of story there are no more you will not see this version of batman again and now the fact that he's saying possibly i just I feel that that's a li not only a little lazy in terms of not wanting to cast someone else and wanting a big budget name, but I also feel that it's just, you know, it's disrespectful to Nolan's trilogy because I feel that the reason this happened is because Warner Brothers wanted it to happen, not because Nolan wanted it to happen. Exactly, and the thing is, like, Bill has said, you know, I'm, this is something he said last year during press, was that, you know, if Nolan would come with me with a good, good story... I could, I could, I would perhaps consider coming back for a fourth one, and um, but you know we, I think he just got cast in a big movie, or some movie today. I don't, I, but I, I saw something today on Twitter. Um, I sh I'm sorry that I didn't look up, didn't look, I didn't look this up before we recorded. But he is, they are doing other stuff right now, guys. So 
but the normal part, we, you know, we support that if it's true. But right now, it's a rumor. But the thing is, like, they need to find a structure. Like, well, and, and, I mean, it, and if no, I was just gonna say, and if Christian Bale shows up as Bruce Wayne or even Batman at the end of Man of Steel, I'm I'm not gonna say I won't cheer or be excited because I will be more excited than you could you could even imagine because it's still Batman. Ultimately, that's what I'm getting at. It, regardless of whether who is playing him or what the franchise is before, it's still Batman. And if he, Batman is in Justice League, I will be happy. But I, it just doesn't feel right to bring in someone else's Batman into a new story. Especially if the universe doesn't fit, because you know, yeah, there's, yeah, because no, there's no like on Arrow, which is inspired by the Dark trilogy. There's no superpowers in the universe. However, there could easily be superpowers on Arrow, and like Dan, uh, Wu, you and I have t all talked about, Arrow could easily fit into the DC Cinematic Universe if they cho so chose. Well, it's a t yeah, well because well, we always know that TV shows never can, in, at least in the Warner and DC aspect, they never connect TVs with movies, which is sad because I would love to see Stephen Amell as Green Arrow along. You know, he he would fit in with those characters, but. Uh, right now, it seems like that there were that might never happen. But you know, who knows? Because they're in the first season right now. But the thing is, if they had done this in Batman Begins, like hinted on that there might be something out there, I would have. If they had built it up for the for the free movies afterwards, I would have been fine with it. If this was true, then because then I would be like, yes, I get to get see I get to see Christian Bale and Henry Cavill in the same movie. It it makes sense. It fits. But no, guys. It never was. It was never no. They were never hints to a super universe, and like on Arrow, there's no super. Like they could still do it because it's still their first year. But, but that's a discussion for another day. But like they need to find a structure. They need to find a strategy to fix this because, you know, Marvel is. Marvel's killing it. Well, it's killing it. They are have. They, we we were, talk, we were talking about four movies that are coming out. This two movies this year, two movies next year from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They have Man of Steel this year, which is going to be the first chapter of the DC Cinematic Universe, which is, has been confirmed. They, they are, something that has been confirmed also is that they are waiting to see what Man of Steel does in the box office. If it's successful, which it, we believe it will, right, Michael? We do believe it will, absolutely. Maybe not like a billion or something like that, you know, but like like seven hundred, eight hundred, easily because it's, because it's Superman. Well, it's Superman and Christopher Nolan is attached to it, which is enough credibility as it is, and people, fans of his work in general will go see it. And then also Zack Snyder, who did 300, Watchmen, Sucker Punch, the fans of those movies will go see it as well because of who's directing it. So, I mean, there are a lot of factors of why people will a go see it. A strong cast. We have a and a strong cast. Slave, for example. Yes, absolutely. You know, strong cast as well. Yes. Which, and, by the know, way... They... By the way, this might be a little too creepy for you, Andy, but the one movie I've seen Henry Cavill in is called Blood Creek, and it's kind of a horror uh, science or, or a horror supernatural type movie. I, I think you might like it, though. Well, I love Henry Cavill as an actor. I've been trying to watch um, what, there's, um There's a film he did called Immortals that yeah. he did. Yes, he did that. It's really good. Time. So. We have a lot of confidence in Man of Steel, at least. But the thing is, like, they need to start building up a plan. They, you know, I want Jeff. I want Jeff Jones to be part of this. I, I seriously want because he can. He can tell stories through live action, comic book, computer. He did the story for DC Universe Online. Yeah. You know, he he is an amazing storyteller, just like Nolan. He needs to be part of this. You know, 
like Michael said, the six first issues of Justice League should almost be like a drafted part of the story for Justice League. That should be the, the outline for the Justice League film. Those six issues it's, of Justice League. Exactly. Who, uh, uh, how, depending on, like, whoever, whoever the members aren't, that's a different discussion, but, like, the story needs to be there. Because, you know, exactly. you know, we know, you know, as long as Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman are there, there it's fine. You know, Flash and Green Lantern and Aquaman the six no- and Martian Manhunter, you need them, I think, but if you get, you can get around them, but I think you do need them, at least for the first film. Just like you need uh, Hulk, Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America for the Avengers, I think you need the original seven for the first Justice League film. Exactly, and there's, people might think, you know, people can say whatever they think about this, but I think they should, they should go the Marvel route. They, they don't, oh, that strategy there's no copyright on that. You know, they, that strategy worked for God's sake. They got a billion, a one and a half billion dollars for Avengers. You know, what, what, would you, what do you think, Michael? Do you think they should go tomorrow, right? You know, because it's I, not being... I think they tried. Cat. I think they tried to with Green Lantern. They tried to do the comedic superhero, and the comedic superhero wasn't the problem. The problem was, I don't think the movie was long enough. I don't think it was engaging enough at the beginning. And I, some of there were some story points toward the end that maybe should have been cut. And the problem is, is the stu- what what really happened with Green Lantern is they had a whole script and a whole story come out. Then it got leaked online, and they had to reformulate the entire movie fast because otherwise Warner Brothers was going to shut it down. And unfortunately, that's that's why the movie wasn't as good as it could have been. I don't think it's that bad, and I really think they should have at least given them a sequel and started up a Flash movie based off of that. It might not have made as much money as you wanted, but not every movie is going to make a billion dollars like Batman, Superman, or The Avengers. I mean, there's some movies that don't, but that doesn't mean they shouldn't get their own fair shot. Exactly. Like, look at the all of the Marvel movies didn't even make a billion dollar like the Avengers. So you right. know, none of the Marvel uh, movies before the Avengers made a billion they, dollars. Exactly. But the Dark Knight did. And that was just one superhero. And if you do yeah. it right, you could do that again with Man of Steel, with one superhero. That's what I'm saying. You should give exactly. them all a shot, regardless of what hero they are. Even Aquaman, I think, could do... A, if you do Aquaman in the style of, like, a mythic gladiator-type hero, with a modern twist and more science fiction elements than supernatural elements, I think you could make an Aquaman movie really good. And I think people would go see it. I would say it because I love superheroes. Like, you could just they, call it King of Atlantis if you wanted to, and people wouldn't know it's Aquaman, and they'd go see it and then find out it's Aquaman. Exactly. And, you know, it's... And that's why I say, like, something that the DC doesn't really do is that they don't use some of the talents that they have, like Jeff Johns, Mark Wade. There's so many good writers. They, they could come in as consultants, at least, like, say, you know, and maybe have some, uh, you know, a, a, big, a big saying on, like, the story. Perhaps they could do the story. Maybe somebody could do like teleplay in the script and so on. Like because these people get this, they get this. Yeah. Jeff Johns get this 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 universe. He gets these characters. You know he's writing. You know there's six characters in Justice League. Now he's writing another book with like six seven characters there as well. He can do that. He can get into their mind and do them justice. No pun intended. And they just it frustrates me. Like you know because. I love Marvel, but I love DC as well. And it frustrates me that it's going so slow when they have the potential out there. And well, and when the an- and when their animation and their animated movies, uh, Dark Knight Returns, Batman Year One, Batman Under the Red Hood, 
Their Wonder Woman film was fantastic. I could see that in live action. The Green Lantern animated films. The Justice League Doom. Justice League Crisis on Two Earths. Uh, Superman Doomsday. Superman Unbound. Stuff like that. When that is all doing so well. When Green Lantern the animated series. Young Justice Invasion. Um, Batman the Brave and the Bold. When that is doing so well. When Arrow and Smallville. And even Human Target to an extent were doing so well. When the, your new 52 is doing so well. How can you not get into film like Marvel does. Because Marvel, their only strong point right now, quite honestly, is their films. That is the only thing keeping them afloat right now, other than comics, because some people, actually a lot of people still buy their comics. I personally do not like them. I only go to Marvel for their films. DC, I go to for everything. DC, I go to for everything. And if they did more films... I'd go to that more, but make more movies like Watchmen, make more movies like The Dark Knight, make move, more movies like Superman 2, um, even Jonah Hex and Green Lantern to an extent. Make more movies like that that'll get people interested and excited. If I, I can't stress enough how much a Flash movie, an Aquaman movie, a Wonder Woman movie, a Justice League movie would work for our culture and our society today outside of just batman and superman and obviously green lantern and they Same. the executives just don't care you know what i uh, recently um jeff johns was uh, on kevin smith's podcast and he said you know i i wasn't sure if this was true or not before like years ago but he confirmed he had he had written a flash treatment that is lying there on their shell at warner brothers and if it's jeff johns how can they not look at it I'm, if Man I'm, of Steel I'm, does well, I guarantee you they'll look at it. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm turning my head towards Oliver now. Oliver, put, put these names on. No, no I'm kidding. No, they're no, on no, the no, list. No, we're not, we're not attacking anybody. <laughs> but, like, there's, you know, Marvel has their movies right now, and soon they will have their S.H.I.E.L.D. show as well, which I think is going to be really great. But out of the comics, they're, I, they're, DC's doing well in comics better, I think. And, they, you know, the animation, the live action shows, then... The, the, the video games, there's a the new animated in, movie. In comics. You know, it's going to be amazing. And I, you can, you have the potential. I think the one thing I, I praise Marvel and Disney for is that, you know, Disney owns basically almost anything right now. You know, soon they're going to own me. No, I'm kidding. But like, <laughs> they, they don't, in the creative aspect, they don't interfere that much. I think that the studio, like you said, we, like we, before I go, we are not bashing them. We this is how we feel and like you know assume and so on because these are not fact, you know these are speculations and so on. So you know we're not attacking students anything. But I think that they might have a little, a little bit too much of control of what's going on. It was like with the screenwriters of the of the movies and perhaps the directors as well. And I think that let the creative team do their work. Yeah. They. It's because it can be done. You can. There are several ways, but you need to start. You need taking to start letting them. You know, but like, sure, we are going to do well and so like in a bunch of, but but still, like you had a dark trilogy, and you know, still you're going to have a successful Man of Steel movie. You need to start re doing a few risks. If you have a flash treatment liner on your shelf, by Jeff Jaws, you know, I don't know how many times we said his name, probably like 200 times now, how much we love him and how good he is, but look at it. Some of the small episodes he did got the best ratings during the last three seasons. The Arrow episode, like, Michael, do I even need to say it? 
No, we really don't. That's the thing. But Warner Brothers needs us to, apparently, because Warner Brothers... Okay, and this is the thing. The Warner Brothers executives, and from a business standpoint, I understand, all they care about is what makes money and what doesn't. But if, like Andy said, if you do not start taking risks, like you did with Green Lantern, and if you if you quit after one risk, then you're not really taking a risk. Because you're still making money regardless. If you take more risks and give DC more creative freedom, I mean, heck, I was talking to Wu about this. Give DC their own studios like Marvel. Let DC make DC Comics Studios and let them boost out their own films under Warner Brothers' name. If you do that under Warner Brothers' name, I think they can make really good films. Well, they had DC Entertainment. Isn't that the point for DC Studios? No, I think that's just overall um, everything DC. That's just their official quote-unquote company name, you know? That's all that is. Exactly. So Really, it's DC Comics, ultimately, but yeah. Yeah, and like, guys, you have... Look at, like, your your media right now. Arrow is the best show on the CW right now. You have a, a 10 years of Superman story, Smallville, that was one of the best praised shows on television. There's, you have the Dark Trilogy. You need to, st- you need to take risks. Okay, Superman Returns, Green Lantern, okay. That's Superman Returns did kind of well, though, box office-wise, it, yeah, because it, it was it, Superman. It, better than Green Lantern, at least, I know. But it was, critical, it, like, critical-wise, it was not as good. From what I've heard, I I didn't like the movie that much because of personal reasons, but I'm not gonna bring them up. But it's like you guys, you're allowed to make mistakes, but you can but you can learn from them when you but you need to see like like I said, you know, a producer is a producer for a reason, and a writer is a writer for a reason. Don't don't try to do each other's work, if right. you know what I mean. Like like exactly. Michael said, let the creative team do their thing. And, they, and deliver what what you guys want for you know a successful box office franchise. Yeah. Because people, you know, Michael, how long do you think people are gonna wait until you know they start giving up on DC? You know, aside from their solo films, which which could be just be like the Man of Steel franchise, which is like not, not just just because Man of Steel is amazing, but like aside from Man of Steel, like you know, how much faith do you think people are gonna have in DC and Warner Bros. after if they don't start doing things? I don't know. I, I mean, I would assume that after they'll want to do more Batman movies at some point, so they'll reboot Batman, and they'll have Superman for a while until they have to reboot that, and maybe they'll do a Batman-Superman team-up, but all that, all that really to them apparently has been successful is Batman and Superman, and I disagree. I thought Watchmen was really good. I thought... Good movie. Um, really good. I think so, too. I thought Green Lantern, although it didn't do well commercially, I thought it... I thought it did pretty well overall. I mean, it wasn't a big box office hit like they expected it to be, but it didn't do terrible box office wise, and it really it didn't it did well enough to deserve a sequel. So especially the cliffhanger that they had in the end, you know. So exactly, and that's that's part of the problem too. Warner Brothers. They don't think anyone has any interest in the superhero properties, but I don't know if they've really ever seen the Marvel films because everyone has interest in the superhero property right now, and that's the thing with DC Nation on Cartoon Network, which is again owned by Warner Brothers, with them canceling that, and we'll talk about this more tomorrow, with that with them canceling that, 
And not not necessarily the block, because we'll get Be Where the Batman and Teen Titans Go, which I have high hopes for, at least Be Where the Batman, because it's Batman. Um, they're canceling Green Lantern in the animated series and Young Justice, Young Justice Invasion. So by canceling those two shows, you're again giving up. And know why they're giving up? They're giving up because their toy sales didn't well do well. Their merchandise hasn't sold well. Not because the ratings haven't been good. Not because people haven't been begging them to keep the shows. Not because people haven't been watching. But because they can't sell things. And that's ultimately the issue. Is The companies care about the revenue and the money. And I understand that from a business standpoint. But if you can't let the creative teams work. And you can't give them a fair chance. And if you can't respect what people want to watch and what people want to see, you'll never get anywhere because you won't make money if you don't bring people what they want. Exactly. And um, I think that's how much about we can say about it. I was, I was thinking, I guess, for fun, since we could just um, dreamcasting, if we, just for a few minutes, if you want to do that. Um, For what? Just to see? Yeah. Well, I, I, I liked your idea of Matt Bomber as Batman. I like that a lot. Henry Cavill, obviously, as Superman. Ryan Reynolds, I would love to return as Green Lantern. Hal Jordan, um, I'd, I'd probably cast Bradley Cooper as The Flash, thanks to Wu. Uh, oh, Barry Allen why Flash. does everybody want Bradley Cooper? I want Neil Patrick Harris as Barry Allen. He's too old. That's the issue. He's too and old. Bradley Cooper, and Bradley Cooper is how old? Bradley Cooper works because... Regardless of how old he may or may not be, he looks younger. Neil Patrick Harris does not fit. Sad really right for Barry Allen. He's hilarious, and he's emotionally good at acting. And he's also bought up by Marvel. Um, All right. Oh. Sam Worthington, I would say, as Aquaman. And, Joshua Dallas for Aquaman for me. And I would love Phil Morris to return as Martian Manhunter, if possible. And... Please use CGI on his face or paint his face green or something. Give him his full Martian glory, but at least use Marsh or at least use Phil Morris, his body and um, his voice. Yeah, because that's a that's a little question. How do you think they would do Martian Manhunter on the big? Because we can, you know, if they can, if they can do Hall with Mark Ruffalo, you know, being in the motion capture suit and whatever, they could do. That's what they'd probably do. They'd probably make him tall and in the motion capture suit. And if they didn't do that, they'd probably do what they did with Mark Strong for Sinestro and Green Lantern. Who would you cast for Wonder Woman? Kate Beckinsale. I want Bridget Regan. Have you seen Ooh. Underworld? The Underworld films. I've seen pictures of Underworld. I've go seen watch the Wonder, go watch the Underworld films, and then you will know why she is Wonder Woman. Trust me. You, you need to look at Bridget. It was I've, I've heard Wonder I've heard Bridget Regan, and that and that's fine. She looks like Wonder Woman, and from what I've seen, she can be she could be Wonder Woman. I think she's a more TV version as opposed to film. And I think you at least need one bigger name actress um, in the film. If you're going to get an actress to play Wonder Woman, she has to be bigger name because she's the only female lead. So that's why it's assumed Kate Beckinsale. Plus, based off the Underworld franchise, Kate Beckinsale could easily pull it off. It would be How old is she? Um, I think she's in her mid-30s. But, you know, that actually works for Wonder Woman because Wonder Woman is actually over, like, 100 years old anyway. She's an Amazon. So she's tough. Uh, she looks more mature, and she's tall. So it works. Well, what about Ivan Strahovski from Shuck? 
Michael mm. Cobb, which she would go, be good as Miss Marvel as well from for Marvel. But if we can have her for Warner Brothers and for DC, like I think she could do Wonder Woman. She could do one. She could do Wonder Woman. Um. Yeah, I mean, she could. She needs to be black hair, but she could dye her hair. So I mean, she could. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I. Th- I like I said, personally, I prefer Kate Beckinsale. I think she works perfectly for the role. Yvonne Shahovsky could pull it off. But again, she's not a bigger name actress, so they probably wouldn't even look at her. Yeah, and but, uh, but Matt, Mober, Matt, Mober, Matt Omer as Bruce Wayne Batman, um, I would love to hear his Batman voice, which is not Christian Bale. Because, I, I, hope, know, I hope they just do it like Kevin Conroy, where he just deepens his voice. Well, wasn't that almost what Bale did? No. Almost. I, that, uh, me. No. Except, except sounding like he had cancer, or like, you know, throat cancer, yeah, he or whatever. sounded like he had throat cancer when he was Batman, so that's why I'd say just... Well, except in Batman Begins, it wasn't bad in Batman Begins, and it wasn't terrible in The Dark Knight t- until toward the end, but The Dark Knight Rises, it was just bad. It was, yeah, it... Where's the farmer? Where is that? <laughs> because... When I was with my friends at the premiere in Sweden, we were watching the, the film. When he screamed, where's the trigger? All of us in that row, we were 10 people in that row, my friends in there. We, we laughed our asses up because he sounded exactly the same way from the Dark Knight. Yeah. When he said, where's the trigger? But, uh, no, but I, if there's, they could go with, like, you know, well, you know, well-known from big things and, like, middle-known as well. Like, you know, because a few TV names will be, should be brought in for, you know, for the big show, like Matt Bomber, for example. Yeah, Matt Bomber would easily work. Phil Morris, who isn't a big actor, would easily work. Um, Henry Cavill, who is a little unknown, hey, yeah, but he, it, it soon, works. No more. It, not anymore. Not anymore, obviously. And obviously, I think Ryan Reynolds and Bradley Cooper would work well together as Green Lantern and The Flash, because in the comics they have their own friendship, those two characters, like Batman and Superman, but theirs is more comedic. So that's why I think they would work really well together, and I think they would work really well as their separate heroes as well, just based off of the Green Lantern film and a few things I've seen Bradley Cooper in. So, I would love to see Ryan Reynolds together with Stephen Amell, like if he would be brought in as Green Arrow. Like I could see that like, for the sequel. I would love it because you know, and like, then bring Michael Shanks like, back as Hawkman. If he, unless only if he doesn't bring up Shayer that many times. Actually, preferably in a sequel, I'd rather have Hawk Girl than Hawk Man because now I've seen Hawk Man live action. I think Hawk Girl actually has a better place on the Justice League than Hawk Man, and that's just my opinion. I liked Hawk Man a lot, and I think he does have a place in the league. But based off of my um, growing up experiences with the Justice League animated series and Justice League Unlimited, and obviously reading the Justice League of America comic by Brad Meltzer. Um, Hawk Girl, I would prefer over Hawk Man, especially in a sequel, if because you, you would have to bring in another female at that point. Yes, of course, and that's something you know we we don't talk. We, we that's actually they need to be more female characters, like you know, like like uh, like Hawk Girl, for example. Like if you could and just... Zatanna, you could bring Zatanna in too, because they're doing that Dark Universe movie with all the magic based DC Universe characters. So oh, just bring that's her gonna in. be so awesome! I think I think so too, especially since the so... director of Hellboy is doing it. It works really well. I want Serena Swan as Santana again. I could see it. I could see it. If you could cast, like, Hawk Girl, like, this second, who, could, who would you cast for Hawk Girl? You know, I could possibly see Yvonne Strahovski as her. I, I, 
knew you were going to say that. I, 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 he, I really he, was, he was iffy about Wally Woman, but he would, he would totally go for Hawker. But, you know, because you... Guys, watch Shock. Watch, watch Sarah Walker, and you will see why she needs to be a superhero. Just like Matt Bomber should be Batman if you watch Chuck. Or White Collar, even. But, um... We need to wrap... Uh, but this has been a really fun episode. Yeah. But, uh... Um, and, um... We're gonna... Let's do a closing. So, like, Michael, talk about... Do we have... We, we do have more podcasts than this network, do we? Uh, no, we don't. Actually, yes, we do. Um, we have... Across the Airwaves Retro Reviews, which Wu and I do... Um, that was our first podcast. I that's how I brought Wu on to Across the Airwaves. It's a very fun podcast. We cover a lot of Smallville. We cover Power Rangers, Scooby Doo, um, a lot of Supernatural as well. Basically, we cover whatever we feel like covering for that week. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, so I mean, th- that's basically how it goes. But ultimately, uh, this next week we are going to be doing a Supernatural themed episode. So it will be our top six favorite Supernatural episodes. Andy, you probably shouldn't listen to that because a lot of them are past season two. So so, so don't spoil that. yourself. But um, yeah, so that will be fun. That will be our next Supernatural episode. Obviously, there's also Longbow Hunters the Arrow podcast, which is Wu and I's baby this year. We we brought that in together. We are very excited to talk yeah, about yeah, Arrow. Michael has like all the podcasts, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, you have like all the podcasts. I, I really do, and it's kind of funny. Um, But yeah, so... That's a fun one. We talk in depth about Arrow, about two hours long. Again, like we said earlier, we covered the digital comic. We've had Dan, Nico, Andy, uh, Elisa Lee. Uh, we've we've um, sorry interviewed Mark Guggenheim, showrunner of that um, of that series, along with uh, he also wrote or co-wrote Green, the Green Lantern film as well. So we interviewed him at one point, Dan and I, on that show, and we're hoping on getting more people, including the infamous brian q miller on our show at some point where when i would we and i will be able to talk to him about his arrow episode unfinished business so hopefully we can get that to happen that is in the works we'll see um and after that there's the dc nation podcast which is dan and i and we cover young justice the young justice yeah i was almost gonna say young justice the animated series but it's actually just young justice or young justice invasion provided which season and Green Lantern the Animated Series, as well as Smallville Season 11, and all the DC Nation shorts that um, air on the DC Nation block on Cartoon Network. We will be doing a live show tomorrow at time of recording, along with Andy. He will be joining us for that. Um, we will hopefully be getting some special guests. We've gotten voicemails from very special people on both Green Lantern and one so far on Young Justice. So uh, listen to that for those, um, those exciting uh, voicemails from... Uh, cast and crew and artists from these respected shows so that's going to be very interesting and of course there's also the across areas podcast which covers live action television which dan and nico generally host um and he's also a part of that along with woo and i myself will be being a part of the continuum section coming when season two of continuum starts dan and i are going to be doing that um, so that'll be very fun. It'll be my first time being recurring on that podcast for a while. Last time I was on there was episode 100. So that'll, it'll be fun to be on it again. I was on it a lot, a lot before, but unfortunately because of DC Nation and a bunch of other shows, I haven't been able to be on it as much. So. Oh, that, you poor thing. You have three podcasts you have to do every week. So it, I now I'm going to have to do sorry. four. What? <laughs> now I'm going to have to do four. Yeah, so. 
basically, guys, you can hear Michael on every podcast. You know, he does every podcast. He will talk about anything. So you will get a good dose of him in the future. Which Wait till Shield oh. comes and I'm on like every other episode. No, I'm kidding. I'll be on every once in a while, but that's that's Andy's course, baby. You, you you will have to be on it. And uh, damn it, I forget. I forgot the number. I, how? What's the number? And this time, I beg you. you it's just you and me here. Say it the way I wanted you to say it. And you can call us on our Across the Airways voicemail at 1773-809-3363. That is 1773-809-3363. Please call and leave a voicemail stating, you know, whatever it is you want to talk to us about. If you want to respond to this episode, if you want to talk to us about our other shows, about shows you watch... Uh, do so, and we'll play it on one of our many podcasts. We can't guarantee we'll let you know which one, but if you listen to all of them within the next week of your voicemail, you'll pr- probably be on one of them. So, depending on what you talk about. So, remember, so with voicemails, remember, there's um, we still have a few arrow-free comments, don't, don't we, for Longbow? Uh, yeah, for Longbow Hunters we do, but um, I'm trying to keep a reps on that right now because I'll bring that contest back for the season finale. Oh, so tune in for that, guys. Also, guys, remember to follow us through our social media page. You can follow us at Google+, Facebook, and Twitter. If you want to follow me and Michael, you can follow me at Samaritan93. And Michael, where can you follow at? I can be followed on Twitter at MJPetty7. And obviously, the Twitter for the Across Airwaves podcast is at Across Airwaves. That is at Across Airwaves, no the. And you can also follow... Uh, the Longbow Hunters Arrow podcast account because we did make a separate one for that because of just how big Arrow has become and that is at Arrow Podcast. Right, exactly. So, guys, it's been it's been a fun two plus hours. Uh, hopefully, we we might do this today again someday because I love working with this guy. He is he is delightful. He's wonderful. So well, I hope and, you guys and, enjoyed this. And if you guys have any questions about comics. Movies or comic TV, you can email us as well at across the airways at gmail.com. And you can tell us that Andy did once his best job on the whole podcast, but was not talking too fast at all. Well, I mean, it was it was your first real hosting opportunity. Oh, so now the 100 episode doesn't count. That okay. was that was moderator. That's a little different, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm no way. So, but uh, but yeah. Um, it's been a fun ride, and remember, guys, go and buy all the comics we told you, and su- support DC Comics. Show that we are, you know, show in through Arrow and all other media fit forms that the Justice League film and other DC films can be made, and so on. It should and, be um, made, and we want we'll, them to be made. I'm Oliver Swiss. Remember, guys, he, you know, he has still a few pages left. I think we'll have to check on that. <laughs> so but guys it's been a fun ride make sure to tune in for next week when we return with a regular ATA episode uh, with your favorite TV shows as well as Longbow Hunters which returns next week uh, when it returns with the 7th episode and the DC Nation live show event is that what you think which, exactly which will well you will listen to it after we get this episode will come a bit if you need time so but uh, otherwise and why stay tuned because he has and, heart and have, have and a great heart time is the yeah, only superpower you need Super breath can come in fire, frost, or just plain bad. Shrinking's a power, but it's kinda sad. Shifting shape into a snake can give folks quite a fright. 
But only your heart will win us the fight. There's portal creation and astral projection, telekinesis and dead resurrection. With mind control, you're on a roll, and if you're lucky, flight. But only your heart will win us the fight. Who are you? Just a man or a superman? The man we turn to for the plan. Who are you? Just a man or a superman? The man we need to take a stand. Was that? I call it Aquaman's rousing song of heroism. <laughs> you don't look roused. <laughs>